interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T. This is the MLW Radio Network. This episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, and because you're a listener of mine, you're going to get $20 off your first purchase when you use the promo code PRIMETIME. That's promo code PRIMETIME. Do it now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you had a great Christmas, and all of you are enjoying your holiday. For those of you who worked over Christmas, I definitely feel for you. As I have mentioned before, I am also a news anchor, and working in news does not provide you with the best work schedule, I can tell you that. You're either staying up too late or getting up too early. In my case, it's the latter. I host a morning show, so I was up with Santa Christmas morning. Uh, I hope that uh, maybe some of you who were also up were listening to PTSM, Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, this last episode with Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis was great. Uh, Joe has unbelievable stories to tell, and it was incredible to hear about how the Road Warriors uh, got started. Uh, about the incredible ride they had and uh, how he cried like a baby when he learned his dear friend Mike Headstrand uh, had uh, died. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, folks, really, it is definitely one you do not want to miss. But, folks, we have followed up that episode with another phenomenal capturing of digital audio. I honestly uh, go into these conversations, I really uh, I have no idea how they're going to go or how long they're going to go. This week was no exception. Um, you know, I, I was good friends with the superstar we have on this week during my time with the WWF, WWE, but it's been a long time uh, since we had talked. But man, did Jacques Rougeau far exceed my expectations. Uh, one half of the fabulous Rougeau brothers had a lot to say, and he did not hold back about uh, his growing up in the business. His brother Raymond, uh, who happens to be uh, one of the toughest men to ever step in the ring. And yes, he talks about the fight, which you have probably heard about before, but not like this. And uh, that is all coming up. But first, uh, I want to remind you all once again how to get in touch with me. You know I love to hear from you. Uh, those who, uh, those of you who have contacted me know when I, I do get back to you. Um, get me at Twitter at Sean Mooney Who, or of course at Primetime MLW. Also, you can send me an email. Uh, you can send that to Primetime at MLW dot com. That's Primetime at MLW dot com. I really appreciate you all reaching out. Ox Sawyer, uh, I want to thank you for that Christmas wish in the picture. You have a beautiful family. Ox, uh, thanks for listening one of our loyal listeners. Also, I, I got a picture of uh, one of our listeners wearing his Sean Mooney Who tee. And uh, I really love this because he said that he is part of the Legion of the Few. <laughs> the Legion of the Few wearing a Sean Mooney Who t-shirt who have, uh, has that t-shirt in their possession. Well, 
You can certainly be one of them. If you would like to become a member of the Legion of the Few, you can do that by going to ProWrestlingTees.com and searching uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney and, and purchasing the Sean Mooney Who Tea. It's a great way to support the program. I also have another great opportunity to tell you about. Uh, what better way to start off the new year than by saving money and getting the best possible seats to an event you want to attend uh, other than with SeatGeek? Now, you can secure great seats right now just by downloading the SeatGeek app on your mobile device and listen to this because you are one of my listeners. Just plug in the promo code PRIMETIME, that's PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. And, uh, you know, it is so easy to make it happen. You can secure those coveted seats to a, let's say, a WWE event or a concert in your town with just the tap of your fingers. That's it. That's all it takes. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app on your mobile device and start shopping for those great seats. Now, here's how uh, it works. This is why SeatGeek is the best. Now, SeatGeek searches multiple sites to compare and find the best prices. Also, every single purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with total confidence. And once again, the best part about it all, because you are one of my listeners, you get that very special deal. That's right. Just download the SeatGeek app. On to your mobile device, whatever it may be, and enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's PRIMETIME, P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E, and you're going to get $20 off your first Seat Geek purchase. All right, you guessed it. It's time to get to the main event. Ding, ding, ding. You cannot possibly talk about the tag teams that stepped into the ring during the 80s and 90s and not mention the fabulous Rougeau brothers, Jacques and Raymond Rougeau, uh, they certainly had a great run in the WWF slash WWE, and they are two superstars that I loved working with. And one I got to know very well, and he joins me now, that happens to be Jacques Rougeau. Jacques, welcome to Primetime. We don't like heavy metal. We don't like rock and roll. All we like to listen to is Barry Manilow. Hey! You still remember <laughs> the All-American Boys. I, I'm doing great. And you know, that was I was going to ask you, because one of the questions we got uh, on our Facebook page was asking me, does, uh, do you, you know, does Jacques still remember all the words to uh, All-American Boys? And obviously, it's it's still in your mind. And that I, I'm telling you right now, that was one of my absolutely favorite theme songs. And I I actually listened to it about an hour ago. Because uh, that guy brought back that memory, and it, it's a great song. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not, didn't you think it was a really good theme? <laughs> a little, a little corny, but yeah, I, I loved it. It was, but that was our role, so it was perfect. Yes, I really yeah. did like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart's the greatest songwriter of all time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, since we started there, uh, how did how did that song come about? I mean, I know Jimmy Hart was a big part of it, but did you guys have? a part in the lyrics did you all collaborate on that yeah we did uh we did a i think all three of us got together and jimmy of course he did all the hard work he put the music together and the, the team song uh together yeah. but uh, the words we sat down together because uh, there was a couple of lyrics that we put in french there so so uh 
but 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 I'll, I'll give all the credit to Jimmy Hart because you know we 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 talked together, but Jimmy's the instigator and then put all the. It's almost like you have a a, a beautiful a beautiful boat, a nice boat, and uh, and the last guy that comes in puts a little bit of paint on it. So uh, the guy who created the, the guy created the boat is Jimmy Hart, and, and yes. I saw him just three weeks ago, and it was awesome. I went to his hotel in Daytona Beach, yeah. uh, because Jim, Jimmy has a hotel now, a Hall of Fame hotel. And, uh, and I spent a couple of days there with uh, my girlfriend, and uh, I went to his Hall of Fame, and, and you wouldn't believe it, Sean. I saw my face all over the place. <laughs> yeah, well, you were a big part of that uh, that era, and uh, as was Jimmy. And I know that he has, you know, the hotel and a, and a restaurant and a bar down there. And uh, did you happen to see any of the uh, little videos that he put up when the hurricane was on the way? And uh, he, he was down there through the whole thing. And you saw him at the beginning when he was out there, you know, uh, waiting for the storm. Through the window? In. Yeah, yeah. And he was holding yeah. the roof. Yeah, holding the roof. <laughs> That's Jimmy. Well, <laughs> you can't, can't put a fast one on Jimmy, I'll tell you. He's even fighting the hurricane. Well, but, I, I, uh, I, I thought he was an intelligent guy until I saw him that he hanging out of the hurricane. And as it's going on, I mean, the roof was <laughs> getting blown off that place. You know what? I was very happy too. I saw when I saw Jimmy about a month ago. I can't remember about a month ago, maybe. And uh, what was really fun for me was uh, the week before that. I went to New York to a convention. I, um, you know who I saw? I, I saw Sean Mooney. Oh, I know that was. You know, was it? Wasn't <laughs> I, that a great, uh, great event though? Uh, awesome to see all the guys. It's amazing yeah. to see uh, third, twenty-five, thirty years later to see all the guys and. Uh, those who kept themselves absolutely incredibly in shape, like Tito huh? Santana and Ricky the huh? Dragon Steamboat, and other guys that I swear to God, I, I was counting the days that they had left to live. You know, yeah, they were walking good. around. It was, it was, it was, it was sad to see at a point uh, to see how our business kind of uh, uh, took a toll on our bodies. But uh, but it was great seeing the guys again. I remember seeing Nikolai Volkov. I went to see him. And he reminded me of a, you know, a dog that has too much skin on his face there, you know, like too much skin on his body. <laughs> Sharpe? Yeah, but, yeah, but it was, but what a great, I mean, yeah. me and him and, and Iron Sheik and, and, and yeah. we had such great times. So it was really marvelous seeing all the guys again. Yeah, I think there was uh, like 90 uh, names from uh, wrestling past there. It was really, as you walked around there, it was just incredible because you're like, oh, there's there's Greg the Hammer Mountain. Oh, well, over there, there's, a, there's Terry Taylor. Wait a minute, there's Sarge, you know. It really was, a, I, you know, I've only done a couple of those uh, shows. I don't know how many uh, you have done, but it was really uh, incredible to just walk around there and see everybody. Yeah, it was. It brought us back our life, actually. It uh, brought us back memory lane and uh and the most, uh, I think the thing that I enjoyed the most out of all that was seeing all the, the expressions on the fans, the thousands of fans that kept coming up to us and, uh, yeah. and just, to see the, just to see their face, how much to them it was important to see us again. And uh, so, so it was very, uh, I'm looking for the word there, it made me feel good. When I left there, I felt like really light on my feet and, and it was a great event. Yeah, and they were lined up at your table, and, and Raymond was there. And, hey, you guys look great. I, you must continue to work out because, you know, both of you looked really good. Well, so do, do you still well, hit the gym? 
Yeah, yeah, every day actually, yeah. and uh, yeah. it's part of my life. Like, like Steve Boat and a couple other guys, but I was lucky uh, because uh, my knees are still good, my hips are still good, my back is still good. I I still water ski today at 57 years old. I wow. play I play golf, I play tennis, I play. Uh, so I, I'm a very very lucky guy. So so, but yes, we do work out tremendously. I work out about six days a week still, so it's it's part of my life. It always been. Well. Well, and that's probably why your body has, uh, you know, been able to hold up as long as it has, because, uh, you know, I have likened it to uh, pretty much when you guys were in the ring to getting in a car wreck every day. And uh, a lot of guys' bodies, you know, they get into their 50s and it, it's really, you know, their bodies are like an 80-year-old man. And so, I'm thinking uh, of uh, just, I don't know if you had the chance to see Beefcake. Uh, when yeah, he was I was there. spending a lot of time with uh, with Beefer. Yeah, he was sitting next to me. Yeah, he's got a lot uh, a lot of issues with Oof. his body. Yeah, well, his body. Yeah, it's amazing, and uh, it's almost like he's paralyzed standing up. And uh, and I felt sorry because Brutus was a guy who always took care of his body. Yeah. Well, you know, and and uh, we did uh, chat a little bit about that, and, and uh, you know, he had that horrific accident where he. Uh, was, uh, you know, the parasailing accident and the woman, you know, cr- collided right into his face and he had to, he has titanium, you know, they rebuilt his face and he said, you know, there is some effects to that. And if you notice it, his neck, he has some issues with his neck, but, yeah, he uh, turn. I, did, I didn't know he had a car accident. I didn't know. No, no, that. no. Don't you remember? It was, uh, you know, that he was at the, at a beach. Uh, down in Florida, with you know, uh, Hulk was there and a bunch of uh, other guys. And, Wasn't it uh, a jet ski or something? Wasn't yeah, it? No, yeah, no, it, it was a parasail. And the woman with they didn't they the boat took off too early, and he was trying to clear the ropes, uh, and they didn't even want to be involved in this. They got kind of talked into because they'd already put everything away, and they pulled the stuff out because these guys really wanted to go. And uh, he was trying to clear the ropes, and the boat took off, got the wrong signal. And he, you know, the, just a freak accident. He turned around just as this woman was, you know, flying off the beach, and uh, her knees went right into his face. And he nearly, wow. he could have died so easily. So, considering oh, so he's, that's he, why, he, that's he, why he was, yeah. he was like he was then. Yeah, yeah. And he's got I a book didn't know that. that just came out. I'm sure he goes into detail on that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, there. You, you saw a lot of those guys that uh, some look tremendous. Uh, others, you're right. You know that uh, the age had caught up with them early in life after what uh, they'd put their bodies through, and um, you know maybe you know it was it was an era. Also, you know you got to remember, Sean, that it was an era where steroids were sold like in a in a store, and it's like uh, and we all know what steroids do to a body. If it's not only if we just think about the heart attacks. Yeah. We could think about what it does to the joints, the knees, and the and the bones and everything else. And uh, so uh, there was a hard time for the guys then. You know, a lot of guys were trying to prove that they, you know, uh, we, we can't uh, deny that Vince always liked the big guys that were all muscled up there. So, yeah. oh, so yeah. and, and, and a lot of those guys had a lot of, uh, a lot of exposure and push. So, so even uh, the younger guys or the guys underneath who wanted to hopefully have a chance one day to make it to the top, they thought that the only way to do it was by looking like a, a, a not an ordinary man there, you know, like, yeah. uh, uh, so, so, so that's today, uh, of course, it takes a lot of toll on a lot of bodies. Yeah. Well, and then a lot, you know, a lot of the wrestlers back then, they really didn't even know what, uh, you know, steroids might do to their bodies. And, uh, it wasn't illegal when it, uh, that stuff first came out. We talked with, you know, animal, uh, Joe Laurinaitis was our, my guest, uh, last week. And, uh, you know, he, he talked very candidly about, what those uh, steroids did to his body. I mean, he said, you know, literally it was like you could be lifting weights and just see 
the the massive growth that they would have, and you know how how incredibly strong those guys were. Hawk and Animal were just uh, beasts. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Why well, did you, those guys, were the did you guys resist that? Do you guys ever try the, those, or did you what? Did you just know better back then to uh, stay away from to, stuff like that? You know, that? I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you a story, Sean, that nobody knows. Uh, we're going from Los Angeles one day, uh, going to San Diego by car, Raymond and I, and we're driving down and, you know, and I was, and I told Raymond, I looked at Raymond and I remember telling him, I said, uh, you know, I said, you know, the way we work with the talent and I, and I don't want to be fresh or nothing, but, but I, I knew my talent was there with Raymond. We were a good team. And I told Raymond and I said, Raymond, with the, with the knowledge we have in wrestling and, and everything else, uh, maybe we should try and get a boost there, you know, and, and take a little shot or two, you know. And, and Raymond's the one who told me no. Raymond's yeah. the one who told me, no, no, I think we shouldn't do that, you know. Uh, and, and because I was six foot three, Raymond was 5'11. And, and, and I was like, uh, I had the body that would, uh, that had more potential of taking steroids and being big, you know. And then, and then, and then, but I, as soon as Raymond told me, no, no, I think I came back to my father and my uncle and all my, we're four generations of wrestlers. And I, and I thought about all the mor- the morales that they gave us. And, and then I said, no, I think we could win the crowd just by working. So, so let's leave it like that. But, but I had the taste of trying it once. Yeah. I never did, but I had the taste of trying it. I got to admit And Thank God that my brother uh, said no and that we didn't take that route. Yeah, and uh, you got to listen to your big brother. I, I imagine you always did, right? You know how that you know how that goes. When you're the oh, last yeah. one in the family, you got you got to look up to the big brothers. Yeah, I think what seven kids in the family? No, five. 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 Okay. Uh, I, I but, could say six because my dad was a kid too, but no, yeah. we were five kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned you're not a second generation. You're not. You're th- you're the third generation, but. I know your son is also in the business now, but um, My, uh, that go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I said you, you, you're you're not you're uh, a third generation, right? And then your son yeah, is, yeah. is in the business My now. My three sons. I got my three sons actually. They, they, oh, they, they, besides uh, Cedric, or is it Cedric or Cedric? Yeah, Cedric. Cedric's a monster. Cedric yeah, is oh, yeah, something I saw else. Him. Now you're but, six. But, uh, three, he's bigger than you, right? He's six. What five? He's seven. six foot. He's foot seven. Six foot yeah, seven. Yeah. And he weighs three hundred and twenty-five pounds, but no fat. And uh, he's a he's a guy that looks like uh, I would say fast, fast. He's the height of Kane, but he's he's got the body of Warlord. You remember Warlord, eh? The, 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 oh, absolutely. Was, so 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 my son. It's amazing when he walks beside me. Uh, uh, people don't see me anymore. It's like uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're they're looking at a freak. Because yeah. and, and the fun thing about it is the fact that it's uh, you know we we were very worried when we were younger uh, a couple of years back because now he's 24 but but when he was like uh, 21 and 22 years old he was growing an inch a year and and uh, uh-huh. so so he he had problems with his uh, how do you call that uh, 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 um, the ground uh, I mean like you know. Uh, like so granted the thyroids, you think that he was going to have like a giant syndrome? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and uh, now, thank God, for the last year he hasn't grown. So so mm-hmm. we don't we think the problem has stopped. But it was it wasn't a problem really. It was just a problem not knowing when he was going to stop growing. <laughs> that was that was yeah. the problem. And and, and when I go do my uh, I go at the market to get my food, you know, like at uh, Winn Dixie or whatever. Uh, it would cost me five hundred dollars just to feed him in a week. You know, yeah. you have no idea how much that boy ate. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I imagine yeah. we're going we're to see some uh, big things out of him. Uh, should we expect to see him appearing anytime in a uh, WWE ring? I, I imagine they have uh, touch base with you uh, I, at one point. I, 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 I got to tell you, Sean, I got to, you know, I've always been honest and I'm going to be honest. There's a difference between a, a, wrestling, a wrestling interview and, and a live interview like this now. I'm going to tell you the truth is we had a tryout a year and a half ago in yeah. Orlando. And uh, I haven't watched, I may surprise you here, but uh, I haven't watched wrestling in 15 to 20 years. I've never watched one show. I, really? I don't know the talent. In the last 20 years, I don't know who's, some of my students at my wrestling school, they bring, back, they bring names up to me sometimes, and I say, sorry, I don't know them. I'll know guys like uh, I mean, Kevin Owen. Rock, of course, yeah. and Ke- yeah, Kevin Owen. But I mean, I like guys like Stone Cold and, uh, and those guys that came up that I didn't even, even John Cena, I have never met him, and, but I've heard of him because of movies and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but, but all the talent, like, you know, like uh, if you ask me, if you put five pictures in front of me and you ask me who is the Hardy Boys, I don't know what they look like, but yeah. I've heard their name. And mm-hmm. so, 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 it's, so what happened is I prepared my son for that tryout for like the wrestling era in the 80s. And yeah. so when we went down to Orlando, uh, that's what the comments I had. Remember, Jacques, he created a wrestler from the 80s. Like, wrestling has changed, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but my philosophy is when you have a guy that's six foot seven, 325 pounds with his backflips and 450s off the top, and, and yeah. he's a great worker in the ring, uh, and he's bilingual, English and French, so he's oh. good marketing for Europe, for Africa, for anywhere in the world. He talks very well. I think if there's something you don't like about him and you have a wrestling school in Orlando that has seven rings, maybe yeah. you should take him in, guys, and just show him what you want him to be. You know, yeah. he's 24 years old. But I think that, ha- that Vince is holding a grudge against me uh, for many years now. We've separated. And uh, so I think that, that our chances of being in WWE is, is not very good. But at the same time, I've got to tell you something else, Sean. The good side about it is I've had my own business for 20 years now in Montreal. And I'm yeah. selling out my shows. And for the last five years, I'm selling out all my shows with 5,000 people. You're going to say it's not 18 or 20, but it's 5,000 people. I'm a small federation. And yeah. all my shows are sold out. And the Rougeau name is like God in Quebec. It's like so, so, so everything's going really well for us here in Quebec. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you think the reason is? Though? I mean, you, you had a tremendous run uh, in, in many different, I, I would call it, you know, uh, you had you know three different appearances really, and and had a a great run in the WWF WWE, uh, you know into the nineties. Uh, what was it that that caused the the riff? Oh, I think you want to get into some details there, uh, Sean. I'll try to stay on the uh, uh, not go into the obscure side of the story, but because today, if I really look back, and and I really appreciate what Vince and everybody did for us, and what we did yeah. for them too. Yeah, it was okay. a good Let's partnership. Not forget that. Yeah. But, 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 but I'll tell you one big turning point in my career with Vince was uh, we, we, uh, we'd been like three times tag team champions of the world on uh, yeah. the Quebecers. And, yeah. uh, and we, were wrestled, we wrestled, uh, we beat the Steiners, and then we had some feuds with different people. And then finally, we had a feud with the moms, Men on a Mission. Yes. Which, uh, and, 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 and for six months, we were, we were doing jobs everywhere across the world, like against the moms. We were getting beat everywhere by everybody. We were putting everybody over, Carl and I. And, 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 but they kept telling us, 
don't worry, Jacques, because I was telling them, listen, I don't mind doing the jobs. I've always been professional, but I feel right now that I'm losing some, uh, some value uh, in marketing. Like, you know, when you get beat all the time, people don't like losers. So, you know, you, you yeah. lose your value. And then so I, but they kept telling me, Jacques, don't worry. And Vince kept telling me, don't worry, Jacques, don't worry, Jacques, because on WrestleMania 10, you're going to regain your titles against the mob. So we were doing, we were getting beat everywhere around the world, knowing that we're going to become champions again. So we didn't care. And we did it. Yeah. And it was hard on the morale, but we did it. And one hour before the show, six months later, Pat Patterson came in the dressing room and says, uh, uh, Jacques, uh, Vince would like to talk to you. And uh, so I said, no, well, what is it? He says, well, he says, we'd like to do a disqualification or something. Because if we, if we take uh, the belts off to the moms right now, uh, what are we going to do after that? You know, and, and I said to Pat, I said, well, I don't care what you do after. What I do care is for the last six months, you've been telling yeah. us to get beat everywhere on the world, even in Montreal, in my hometown, we were yeah, doing well, jobs. Yeah. And it was like, because we didn't mind because we knew we were going to regain the titles. So that was something that I never accepted because I always told my story after that. When people asked me, I always said, listen, if you go to a zoo and you find a monkey that's going to talk to you, and you, you tell the monkey, you said, hey, listen, do a backflip for me for my kids, and I'll give you two peanuts. And, and the monkey <laughs> does his backflip, and then you give him a peanut and a half. Uh, the monkey's not going to do any flips for you anymore. <laughs> and, 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 and that's the way I acted, and I've, yeah. always, uh, I've always been a guy very proud, and I worked very hard, and I, I've always honesty was my rule and respect. And, and I thought that time, those six months, when he – changed his decision right then i told pat i said go see vince no problem i said we'll do the job no problem just tell him to look in his book and tell him to see when is the last time he wrote my name in a, in a town i'll finish all my dates that he booked me because i was very professional i gave him two yeah. months notice not two weeks two months and and, and then after that that there was our downfall i think from them yeah but you feel that uh they may have known farther ahead uh, of that event that that was their plan and they just didn't tell you? I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the reason was. I just know that me, I gave my heart, soul, and body for six months knowing yeah. that I was going to be uh, uh, rewarded. Yeah. And, and, and we live on that. And Sean, if there's something that the fans must understand, when you go 25 days a month on the road and yeah. you don't have your family with you, your kids are at home, you miss them. The only way you talk to them is by phone morning and night. And uh, yeah. you get into a phase where you, you're lonely, you're sad, and it's hard. Life is very, very hard. Six, eight hours of traveling every day. Find a gym, find a tanning salon, go do your job. And, and then after a while, it becomes almost like you're hanging on by a thread. Because you, and, and then when that time happens and you're disappointed, then it, it's a lot more than... I look at it today and I, and I say, oh, what the hell? Maybe I could have, but, but in, the, in the state of mind I was then, and plus being around a lot of boys that were like uh, bullies and a lot of boys that were like a little rough to get along with, uh, yeah. there was a lot of great guys, but there was a lot yeah. of uh, troublemakers and stuff like that. And so it was, it was hard to deal with that uh, psychology. Uh, how do I say it? Psychologically? Or yeah, how, yeah. well, it, 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 it gets to you. I, I know there's been a lot of guys that, uh, you know, that's what a lot of people don't understand. They don't see uh, out, you outside of the ring or outside of the arena. And there's a whole different, you know, uh, guys are, are, that was what the downfall of a lot of them is that they just couldn't take the road. They couldn't take being away from their family. Uh, you know, a lot of times you're, you're in a situation where you're not being pushed. So you feel like you're, you know, weighed down and it's, you've got to keep going every single day, you know, and absolutely. 
So and it's hard uh, traveling. If anybody has uh, been on uh, on the road for that amount of time, knows that traveling yeah. uh, because you know a lot of times people don't think also is like. Uh, but you know, Sean. But well, a lot of people don't know that there's flight cancellations, there's mm. flight delays, there's you don't eat, you don't you don't have time to work out. So you get in this mood where you're always trying to catch up on time, catch up on your workouts, and and we and Raymond and I were very professional. And, and yes. Carl Willett too, and so so we gave everything we had. But when we were told something, we we hung on to it. It was like hope, or or I don't know how to say it, but it was like inspiration. Or and so so. But anyway, those were the days, and uh, I, I look back at all the great memories that I have. You know, I, I could name some names to you, and and I don't even have to. But Big Boss Man, or or yeah. I could name some new the Rockers. You know, and uh, yeah. the Good Years, the Hard Foundation, and uh, Tito Santana, and. Uh, and then Virgil and uh, uh, well, I, I had so many angles with different peoples, and uh, and those were the good days because they were the, the guys were working together, and and uh, so so anyway, all that to say. Yeah, well, and and uh, you know, Jacques, you, you talk about how you and and Raymond, uh, you know, conducted yourselves as professionals. That came from an upbringing. Uh, that you had in Canada, and uh, you you started talking about being, you know, the uh, you know generations of of wrestling in your family, and this all started in the '40s with your uh, grandfather, I believe it was Eddie Auger. Um, Eddie Oje, yeah, Eddie Oje, yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, yeah and that's tell good. me tell me a little bit about about him, and then how this you know wrestling, uh, you know, uh, generations of wrestling started in your family. Well, it started like you say with Eddie Oje, was my great grand uncle, and uh, I got to work on my French first... pronunciations, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I got to. I'm forgetting my English. I got to watch yeah. out too, but okay, so... uh, because it's French where I live. Yeah. But anyway, a uh, long story short is my my great uncle Eddie Oje was uh, okay. the first one in the family, and Eddie Oje had a sister which was called Albin Oje, and his sister had two sons that were Johnny and Jacques Rougeau, my father yeah. and my uncle. And then that was always was a second generation. And then Raymond, myself, and my brother Armand, who never went to the WWE, but he was also the Rougeau brothers here in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And then there's my three sons, there's four generations. So, yeah. so uh, you know what, I, I'll, I'll tell you something that, that's on my mind, if you don't mind me saying. Sure. Uh, the, the, fam- the famous Hall of Fame. You know, the most, I think the biggest uh, problem I'm living with inside of me is the fact that the Rougeau name is not in the Hall of Fame, not for me and Raymond, but, but for my father and my uncle and everything what the Rougeau has done for 75 years in the business. And, and, and here in Quebec, people don't understand it because I talk on Facebook and stuff like yeah. that, and sometimes people ask me and I tell them. I don't understand except the fact that we're, Vince is holding a grudge against me. But because if you think of the Bushwhackers are there, you think of the Killer Bees, or you think of all the guys yeah. that are in there, guys that we worked with, and uh, and it takes two to it takes two to dance, you know. So so yeah. if those guys were so great, they would probably probably be working with great guys too, you know. And and, and I consider the run that we've had and, and and what everything I've accomplished and done that I honestly believe just for my father and, and my uncle uh, were icons here in Quebec. I, I think that the Rougeau name, like the Funks and like the, the, the brothers there that I loved a lot, there, there was uh, the one that uh, shot himself in the heart there, and, uh, uh, you know, the Von Erichs. Von Erichs, yeah. You know, the, all those families, the hearts, they should be in the Hall of Fame because it, it, it's, you're talking almost they like built, 75 yeah, they built years. They built professional of, wrestling, yeah. 
They build exactly, yeah. and and, and uh, so. But you know what? When we talk on Facebook, I have five thousand friends, and I'm uh, very active on Facebook. I I was always very close to my fans and people, mm-hmm. and, and I always they always tell me they keep reminding me, Jacques, don't worry because in our hearts you are in the Hall of Fame. So, 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 so it works with me. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Well, maybe some of it has to do also it's uh, out of the country in a sense. People don't really understand uh, how huge uh, Canadian uh, wrestling is and, and what the Rougeau family means uh, in that country. Maybe when so, comes- maybe so. But I know one thing, the people remember the fabulous Rougeau brothers and they remember the Mountie yeah. and they remember the Quebecers. Uh-huh. And I also think that, that, that uh, the, I'm the only Canadian ever to beat Hulk Hogan. You know, I, I beat Hulk Hogan in Montreal in front of 18,000 people. It wasn't for Vince. It was when he was for WCW. But, I mean, uh, for me, uh, being the only Canadian in Canada, like, you know, to beat Hulk, because Hulk, yeah. is, you know, he's the biggest icon for me, always will be, uh, in the 80s. Uh, and and, uh, and I think that uh, I, I may be uh, being boycotted there, but I think that may be my attitude, too. And I had my faults, so I'll, I'll take part of my faults, but maybe one day Vince will... We'll turn the page and all that, and they'll remember all the good times and the good things that we've done, and, and maybe we'll make it to the Hall of Fame one day. <laughs> so, but, so what was it like, though, growing up in a family like that? And I, I think Ray's, uh, Raymond started at 14, and uh, uh, when did you start training, and what was it like to be uh, around that family? It was awesome. It was my, my, my future, my career was dictated to me when I was six years old. So when you I knew was six it. years old, I, I didn't really know, but everybody was telling me because yeah, I used yeah. to walk around the arenas and imitating Abdullah the Butcher and imitating Joe LaDuke and, and having all this fun time of imitating wrestlers, which I was pretty good at, and, uh, and cutting interviews at six years old. And everybody kept telling me, Jacques, are you going to be like your dad? Jacques, are you going to be like your dad? And, and so everybody, by telling me that over the years, I think it just grew into me. And, but, but what a great thing because it just so happened that the greatest thing of all, that wrestling was my passion. Uh-huh. So, so it wasn't hard for me to go into wrestling. It was something I liked. I liked cameras. I liked interviews. I liked being in the newspaper when they were doing an interview with my father, and I'd stick my head between his legs <laughs> just to be in the picture. You know, yeah. uh, That was me, so it was part of my life. Yeah, And you mentioned the three brothers. Uh, you know, Raymond was older. He's five years older than you. And then uh, next to is Armand, right? He's uh, he's only a year older than you, and then you. Exactly. So were you closer? Exactly. Were you closer to Armand growing up? Because uh, at that time, you know, those that age span is huge, and probably yeah, you were yeah, the, the nuisance little brothers to Raymond. But, but uh, how was but it? But to be honest with you, to, to be yeah. honest with you, uh, we were close just because we were sleeping in the same bedroom at home. We call it <laughs> the same room upstairs. But yeah. but as far as when came to wrestling, no, it was. Raymond has already started his career for five years, and he was yeah. well off gone. And, uh, and so when I came in, and Arma was just like a secondary kind of uh, life for him wrestling. It wasn't as fast as he was doing it uh, because uh, he, his business in cars didn't work, so he came into wrestling. It was like uh-huh. a second-hand thing. And, right. uh, but for me, so, so I wasn't that close with Arma, and, and we were three brothers, but, but three different kind of guys. And, and if you know me and Raymond, you'll see that we're completely different. If you talk to yeah. us out of oh, the absolutely. Raymond, Raymond's, yeah. Raymond's the intelligent one and the smart one. So, you know, so, so, but we were all different. So even when yeah. we were kids growing up, it was like we, we didn't hang around together that much. It was like we had our own little thing. And even when I started wrestling, it was my father kept telling me, no, 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 you're not ready. You're too skinny. You know, you're not there to do this. And, and then he was, he, was, uh, he was really pushing Raymond uh, a lot because they were doing good business and stuff. So 
I, I took a, I took a mandate of, of proving to everybody that I think you got this all wrong. I'm just late. I'm not. The, I'm. Uh, it's not that I'm not great. I'm just late. Yeah. But right. but that was my mind thinking then. So I always tried to to be the best. And I remember at 17 years old, I went to wrestle at the Stu Hart's Dungeon, you know, in Calgary, yeah. uh, Fred's yeah. father. And then I, I did two years there for, in Calgary Stampede. And I, when 18 years old, I went to Mexico to learn. I didn't speak a word Spanish, but I learned how to go and do those backflips and, and yeah. the flying all over the place and not meaning anything. But, but, but although that it was great learning all that, we had to slow it down when we went back into normal territories but but mexico was like so fast but all this thing that i was doing all those things i was doing was to try to be the best of the family i wanted to put my foot down here in, in my family and show them all like listen you guys are great but i'm better (laughs) <laughs> and that, but that was my kid's mentality. You know, that's yeah. when I'm a young punk there. You know, like I'm 15, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. But that's the way yeah. I thought then, you know. Yeah. Well, you had that drive. And uh, you survived the dungeon. I mean, how bad was it? We always hear these legends of the... <clears throat> You know uh, what the uh, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell you some I'm gonna tell you something, Sean. That that's not that's not gonna make me look too good. But I gotta tell you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stu Hart always had me go have lunch there at, at, on Sunday with a thousand cats in the house. And we, you know, he used to let me have me come over for dinner. And, and every time that he would start talking to bring me down to the dungeon, I had something to do. I didn't have time to go. And, uh, so, I thought so you were the smart one. <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed away from that place. And then I was hearing so many things about it. Like, you know, if you go down there in his basement and you make it out of there, you're a tough son of a gun, yeah. which, uh, which I wasn't. I was an artiste. I was just a comedian, a wrestler. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I'm not a real fighter in life. I'm not a, so, so for me, it wasn't something that was really appealing to me at that time. Yeah, but you still <laughs> trained with them, right? You must have learned a few things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. And I, when I started, then Brett was so it was amazing because Brett was driving the bus. Then when I started, I started before Brett, and uh-huh. uh, and so Brett was driving the bus to Saskatoon and Regina. We were the loop yeah. there in yeah. Calgary and Edmonton, and 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 it was. Uh, but it was a good time. It was times that I, of course, I learned a lot. I learned. You know what I learned a lot of was uh, uh, how how to how to get a, a stiff. If ever, you know, something happened in the yeah. ring and some guy yeah. wanted to hurt you, how to defend yourself, you know? Yeah. And then surely, I, I, but he had, uh, I got to be honest with you, I think I've had some personal favors given to me by Stu because uh, he had a lot of respect for, for, for the East Coast wrestlers, the Rougeau family. And yeah. there was two families in Canada. There was the, the, the Hearts in the West and the Rougeaus in the East. Wow. And uh, so, so, so when I came to him, he he and he had so much respect for my dad and my uncle that he treated me very very nicely. That's and, great. Uh, so he didn't he didn't make it too hard on me in the dungeon. That's what I'm yes. saying. Yes. So you saw a young Brett. Did you see uh, Promise? Think eh, he might be something someday. You know what? Not at all. <laughs> really? Brett was a Brett, Brett was a great bus driver and he was a great <laughs> ring. Uh, he used to put up the ring. He was great at it. <laughs> but but I'll never forget the time coming back from Saskatoon. We were coming back from Saskatoon to Calgary Stampede for a show, and we were driving all night long, and, and suddenly we had bang, a big bang, and Brett hit a moose. and uh, But a, a big moose, yeah, and it yeah. dented the whole bus, stopped a the bus, and we big. were stuck yeah. there. Wow. But 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 it wasn't Brett's fault. It was the moose across the street. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, <laughs> but to fun. be honest with you, no, I never expected Brett to be that good in life. Never no. did. 
man, who knew you'd be uh, absolutely one of the best ever. Um, when was then? So, what was your first professional experience? Like, when did after all this? And I don't know how old you were. Uh, I hope you'll tell us. And and what was your first professional experience where you actually, I guess, got some shekels for what you did in the ring? I was uh, when I started. I was seventeen years old. And by the way, before you told Raymond started at fourteen, let me correct you. He started at sixteen. And, uh, and oh, I started okay. a year later than Raymond uh, in 17. And, and, uh, and I remember my first match. Oh, my God, it was amazing. It was against a guy called Black Diamond. And, uh, he, but he was a, a very nice guy. And he came to train for about 20 miles away from his home. in Mont- He lived in Montreal, but I was 20 miles on the outskirts. And he, my father had put a ring up in the barn with the horses. And, 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 uh, and he would come and practice our first match I was going to do at the Verdun Auditorium which is in the, on the island of Montreal. And, uh-huh. uh, and I remember the first time I was putting my boots on. It was amazing. My father came beside me and he told me, he said, uh, would you just stop shaking that leg of yours? You know, because I was trying to tie my boots. I couldn't put my, 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 my rope of my boots in because the holes, because I was shaking so much. So nervous. You know? But yeah. so nervous. But, yeah. but, but, but what a great, great time it was. The first time I won my match and the people stood up and, and acclaimed me. It was like that was that was why I was put on earth. And, and, yeah, and that was uh, the moment. <laughs> and that was that was my day. That was yeah. my day. Hey, you know, uh, you talk about Raymond, and uh, you know, he's always had a, a reputation as being this incredibly tough guy. Um, yep. Was he that tough, young? And then did he uh, legitimately box? Uh, I know he's a, well, a good he, boxer yeah, too. He, so. He did some boxing, but he was just a mean guy. He was just a guy like, a uh, I don't guy. know if you know, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, like, uh, Morris Maddog Vachon. Oh yeah. Maddog. Yeah. yeah uh, well, Raymond is a, 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 exactly the same thing. My brother Raymond was a guy who had, uh, he, I've never seen my brother Raymond back down anybody. I, I remember the first year that we were there and the first year we were in Toronto, one of our first shots with the WWF, there was a big guy, you know, uh, he was loud mouth in the dressing room and he was, and he just decided to pick on us just for fun. His name was Ted RCD. I don't know if you remember him, yeah, okay. but, but do you remember Ted RCD? No, I don't. But you say, you know, Ted RCD, go in the, go in the, go in the books of the WWF in the 85 and you'll see a guy called Ted RCD. And he was a big, big bodybuilder, like, you know, huge, but, but, uh, and he came up, he must've weighed about 300 pounds on steroids. And my brother Raymond's like uh, 200 pounds wet anyway. So he came, uh, so he came in front of my, my, my brother, uh, or he said something and, uh, and he told, just told my brother, why don't you shut up and just shut up. And everybody in the dressing room. Oh was yeah. Like, I'm looking at his picture right now. He's a monster. And he was just. He was trying to break us, just try to do some bullying, I guess, having fun. And my brother Raymond just, he sat down, like the guy, like Ted RCD said, just sit down. He waited 10 seconds. And just to give the upper level to Ted RCD in his brain that he thinks he's winning this battle. And about 10 seconds later, my brother went right in front of him, stood up in front of him. Ted RCD lifted his head up, and my brother looked at him with one of those faces that you don't want to face in an alley, in a dark alley. But he looked at Ted RCD in the face, and he said, get up. Oh. And then Tardosi, he looked at him and he just stared at him. And my brother said, get up. And I'm not going to say the words he said on the radio. And he, 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 he said a really nice something about mother. <laughs> and he said, get up. <laughs> get up and beautiful. then and, and, and I saw the face. And Ted Arcidi never stood up. And then he looked yeah. at him. He says, you piece of shit. He says, the next time you talk to me like that, he says, I'm going to kick your ass big yeah. time. 
And then he never did a word, nothing. And from then on, the boys already had a respect for Raymond, but, but Raymond was already known because another incident that happened in, in Montreal, i got to tell you about Raymond, uh, there was a guy called Zarineuf Leboeuf. He was a wrestler in Grand Prix wrestling those days, and in Montreal, and uh, and he wrestled my brother Armand, my younger, my older brother, but younger in the business, and he yes. was very not experienced very much, and he got into the ring with this guy, Zeddy Neftebuff, a big guy, and he was just one of those moods where the guy didn't want to sell anything, so he got in the ring, and he he my everything my brother Armand was doing, he was he wouldn't react to it, and then he'd slap and so. him in the back, and you know treat him like a you know nobody, and then and 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 uh, the next when he came back in the dressing room. And he was a very tough guy. He was like a doorman in a club, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So my brother Raymond went to see Gino Brito. I don't know if you know him by history, but yeah. Gino Brito is a great Italian wrestler like Dino Bravo in Montreal. And so anyway, so Gino Brito was a promoter then. And uh, and my brother Raymond just went up to Gino very softly. And he said, uh, he says, is it the same card tomorrow night in another town? He says, yes. Well, he says, I want you to switch the card around. I want you to put me instead of Arma and Arma instead of me. Yeah. And Raymond got in the ring. And, and and this is an incredible story because Raymond got in the ring and, and, and then he started, he got into the ring and then he looked, he came in the middle of the ring and he looked at the Zeddy Neff, which was a tough guy. Yeah. And he looked at him in the face. He says, uh, you don't like working with my brother, huh? And then I mean, Zeddy Neff Lebeuf said, I don't give a shit about your brother. And he said, I don't give a shit about you. And at the same time, my brother punched him in the face. And then he, uh, he backed up and then he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you want to go? And then my brother gave him like a mule kick, a side kick right in the kneecap. And yeah. he like almost broke his leg in two. Wow. And then my brother was a down to the ground kind of guy, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and, and buff rolled. He, rolled, he rolled out of the ring. And when he rolled out of the ring, he, he, he went back to the dressing room. My brother was waiting for him in the ring and he got his stuff. He never showered or nothing and he left. And on the Monday that followed that, it was the paychecks that we had to go pick up at the office. The guy sent his wife to pick up his check. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was the end of Zadie Nefleboff, the tough guy. And that was because of my brother, Raymond. Uh, Raymond, yeah, you're right. And I'm telling you, uh, folks, uh, there is not another nicer human being on earth than Raymond Rougeau. Every experience I ever had with him was tremendous. But Respect, you know, there's something polite. about people, right, uh, Jacques? That there's something about people, like you said, that look. And... You didn't want to see that from him because <laughs> that, he, and I'm sure he, there he, were he, many times he never had to raise a fist. People just knew that this guy was not going to back down. Exactly. And I think, there, and you know, I, to be honest with you, I had a rough night too one night with a cowboy Ace Horton, yeah. you know, in the ring. He didn't want to sell for me much, very much. I came back in the dressing room. I sat down. I was marked a little bit and uh, had a little bit of red stains here and there. And then he came up to me, my brother, he says, what happened? I saw nothing. He just didn't want to sell anything, you know. So he went to see uh, Tony Gurry. I can't remember who was there. And he says, I want you to book me with uh, Ace Horton tomorrow. And Ace Horton got in the ring with my brother. My brother Raymond gave him about six arm drags, three drop kicks everywhere. He's flying all over the place for my brother Raymond. It's like, and he never, Raymond never had to do nothing. He just put his name instead of mine. And uh, so, 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 so Raymond's reputation grew very, very fast. That he's small, he's short, but don't mess with him. Do not Don't mess with him. Yeah, if he wanted to shoot, you were in trouble. That's for sure. Yep, exactly. Uh, so uh, moving along, though, I mean, you guys, you know, uh, I know you 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 got you were well known in Canada, but you guys kind of skyrocketed. I mean, in 1986, how did you get noticed by the WWF? Now I know that they certainly pay attention paid attention back then to what was going on. We didn't have 
the quite the reach that uh, they have certainly today. But how did you guys get noticed by the uh, WWF at the time? Well, I was on the road a lot. Contrary to my brother Raymond, I was doing a lot of territories. I was doing. Uh, I went to Kansas City for Bob Geigel. I went for the Grahams in Tampa. I was going all over the country for Knoxville. Oh, Tennessee, in the states. And yeah, I was in the states all the time. Yeah, for for okay. many part of my career, I was even in Atlanta for Holy Anderson and Ronnie West on the TBS Georgia Championship Wrestling with uh, with uh, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, Tommy Rich, and those guys. So I was seen on TBS around the country. Uh, so I, my name, I even changed my name that time because uh, my name was Jerry Roberts. I put <laughs> because uh, <laughs> they used to call me uh, Jerry Jobber because I was getting beat every 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 time I was on TV, but. <laughs> I was always giving a great match, yeah. so they liked me. So I was seen by all the small territories around the, the, the country and pretty much everywhere. And, and at that time, I was doing very, very well uh, as far as bookings. I never had problems booking myself. And, uh, and then one day, the WWF, they, they wanted to come to Montreal to compete with Dino Bravo and Gene Brito and, uh, and the Quebec League here. So they came in like to compete. And, and I was in bad terms with Dino Bravo, which was the owner of the, the province here. I had left because I was very uncomfortable what he was, how he was using me and what he was doing because of my expectations and my goals. So mm -hmm. I left. And when I left, and he told me, well, bye, goodbye. And I said, okay, goodbye. So I had to leave my home. But then when Pat Patterson heard of that, Pat Patterson called me up. And he asked me to come do the first event they did. The first ever, ever event they did was at the Verdun Auditorium where I started my career. Uh -huh. and, 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 and they came, and the main event was, imagine it enough, it was uh, me against Samu, you know, the, the, the wow. uh, Samoan, Samu. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and then we tore the house down, and I'll, yeah. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Uh, uh, so, so it was a time where, um, it was a time where, um, where the Rougeos and, and the Quebec wrestling, the Quebec wrestling was a, uh, was uh, was on fire, but at the mm -hmm. same time we were they were fighting WWF that was trying to come in. And since I wasn't part of that group, and uh, I came in, and I remember my father when he came to see me, my father uh, my father came to pick me up at the airport, and he told me when I came back to Montreal because I think at the time I was in Pensacola, and uh, they had a territory down there, Southeastern Wrestling, and, yeah. uh, and and they called me back up to come and do this one show. Pat called me, he said Jacques, we want to come and have you main event for the show. So I said, uh, great. For me, it was revenge at the same time on Dino Bravo. And it was like on the organization. It was like showing them, was like yeah. showing them that, hey, you know, uh, it was like showing them that, hey, I'm still alive here, you know? Yeah. So, 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 so I came back and I, I stole the show. And from then on, about it, uh, uh, my father came to pick me up at the airport and he told me going to the show. He mm -hmm. said, Jacques, don't do that. He says, because if you let the WWF come in this time and you help them, he says, this territory is going to die. And I said, well, Dad, they, they want me to die, this territory. They're not using yeah. me correctly. And, yeah. you know, so he says, don't do it, don't do it. I said, Dad, I'm going to do it. I gave my word. I'm going to do it. I'm in main event, and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, and, and for the next year after that, I did my shot. I went back on the road to Pensacola for another year. And by that time, I started getting calls from from, from WWF uh, frequently from Pat, like for a whole year, Pat was calling me say, Hey, Vince wants to meet you, Vince. And I'm saying, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. No. I was in small territories and I wasn't. And then I start thinking about, do I really want to go there? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I heard it's a zoo and I heard like, it's uh, it's something else to go there, you know? And yeah. uh, so, so for a year we negotiated just not even money or nothing. I, they were after me, like really after me. And then finally I turned around and I, I decided, I said, listen, I'll go for, 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 for two reasons. 
if you give me $5,000 a week, because I knew the road, how it was and everything, I'll go. And if you take me with my brother, Raymond, uh-huh. I'll, we'll go as a tag team. So if you take me and Raymond, I'll go because I knew if by with Raymond, I'd, I'd feel great, you know, just be secure yeah. and just feel. So, so that's how it all came upon, I guess. Yeah. And same deal for uh, Raymond. You wanted the same well, Raymond. Deal for him? No, Raymond was still wrestling. Raymond was actually still wrestling for Dino. And so he had, his, so he had his understanding with Dino. He was happy. So, and, and Raymond didn't want to travel in the States like I did. So, so Montreal was a territory where there was a lot of wrestling during spring, summer, and fall. But then in the winter, there was not so many shows because of all the snow and ice and all this. So, so it was a smaller territory. You couldn't make a living off of it. Yeah. So, I was so going to ask you had, about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you though, before we get into that, that, uh, arrival in the WWF, that, you know, we all know about the U.S. territories and how they were laid out with New York and Florida and Texas. And how, how does, uh, were the Canadian, how do the Canadian territories work? To be honest with you, I think it was the same everywhere, Sean. I think because here, uh, once, once Vince started taking control of the whole world, yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to get in everywhere, everybody yeah. got scared. Everybody yeah. got scared. So I but think was it was... broken up like that, though? Was the uh, was Canada the same way? Like, you know, Stu Hart had his territory. The Rougeaus had their territory. How many were there? At the there end, you know, before... there was, uh, I think there was one in Vancouver with a Gene Kaniski. I don't know if you remember yeah. that name. Oh, or okay. uh, They had a territory, a little one. But there was yeah. a little in the Indies, which, you know, draw like two, three, four hundred people. But the big yeah. major companies, there was like the Hearts and there was us. There was also yeah. the uh, Emile Dupre. I don't Nino know Bravo. You... In, yeah, but in it, I'm going to go a little further east. I'm going to go like on the east coast completely, like, you know, of Quebec there, uh, north of New Brunswick and all those places. There was a, there was a call, a guy called Emile Dupré. He owned the territory. He had a lot of guys that came, that came out of that territory. I'm thinking of, uh, I don't know if you ever knew a guy called Hubert Galin. Hubert Galin? You know him? No. Uh, well, you know Frenchie Martin? You know, of Frenchie, of course. Yes. And then, you know, all his family, the Vignos, the one that died also in uh, in Puerto Rico there, uh, Frenchie's brother, Michel Vigno, uh, he died there wrestling. Uh, so, so so there was a group there that was working too. So I'd say there was about three big federations in Canada when Vince started knocking on doors to, to, to come in. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's that's interesting how it, uh, it laid out back then. So, uh, but my father was right, you know, Sean, my father was uh-huh. right. You know, thinking yeah. back then, because my father told me, uh, if you go wrestle for them tonight in Montreal, you, they're gonna they're gonna kill us here. And yeah, my father knew I didn't mind because yeah. because I was against them here anyway. So yeah. we weren't seen eye to eye. So, but my father was right because the minute WWF and I came in with the WWF show, the first one, uh, that was it. After that, we, they started oh. negotiating me for a year before me and Raymond. You know, we went in. But, 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 but what a machine, the WWF. Who would have thought something would have became so big? Uh, no kidding. So when you and uh, you, you present this deal to him, you said, I'll come in. I want five grand a week and I bring my brother. Did they accept that deal? Right away. Really? Right, right away. Right and away you know, at that time, there were very they, few making that much. I don't know. I didn't ever ask paychecks of other guys. I just know one thing for sure is that they knew and Vince knew that if he gets the Rougeos on board in Quebec, Quebec is yeah. ours. Right. You know, because we're, because of the four generations and because yeah. of the three in those days, but because the the, the name Rougeau was like San Martino in New York, 
uh, Rougeau's in Quebec. That's what we are, uh, even yeah. in Canada. So, so, so that the, he knew if he took control. It's the same thing, probably when he knew that he got the Hearts in Calgary. Uh, forget about. It. There's no more wrestling in Calgary, you know, because the Hearts were seven wrestlers, I think, uh, out of the family. I can't remember how many, but the, uh, the, the, there were so many wrestlers. It's amazing wow. uh, in the family of the Hearts. So, uh, how did the gimmick come together? You know, the, uh, the fabulous Rougeau brothers with the, you know, the aqua and gold jackets. I mean, did you guys get to decide all that or how did that happen? Well, to be honest with you, uh, Raymond and I, we were simply the Rougeau brothers when we came in. We were baby faces. We were good guys. Yes. And, yes. uh, we did two years. We did very well, but yeah. after two years of run, I think our time was up. And I think that, uh, I remember Vince coming to us and saying one time, sitting down with us saying that, listen, guys, you guys are the greatest workers, you know, really are. And, yeah. but, but Americans don't quite want to have Quebec heroes, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and, and no matter how hard you try and how good you are in the ring, people are always going to be Americans, you know, like, uh, Americans yeah. will always be Americans, patriotic. Yeah. And, and so, so I think Vince told us, he says, I think that we could have a great longevity if we turn you guys heels. And I'll never forget that because me and Raymond looked at each other, never been a heel in my life, turned around, looked at my really? brother. Really? Uh-uh, uh, like, uh-uh. Baby face. We're, not, we're, not, we're not going heels. My Uncle Johnny, who's up in heaven right now, is probably going to turn in his coffin, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, if so anybody came from a family of were, baby faces? Yeah, always, always. And then we were, yeah. the image here of the Rougeau family yeah. is incredible in Quebec. So, yeah. so, so that was, a, but then at the same time, our, we, we talked, Raymond and I, we asked Vince to give us 24 hours. And then we talked about it and we said, listen, and, and I told Raymond, I said, Raymond, if we don't do that, we're going back home to a territory that's dead, you know, so it's finished wrestling for us. So it's like, we do it or we don't. And you know what, Sean, I got to tell you something. It took me about two days to find out that I wanted to be a heel for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's, it's just, just too fun. It? It's too much fun. <laughs> you know, we had the little American flags laughing at you Americans, oh, and we were having a great time. Oh. You know, it wasn't only just work, it was pleasure. And, you know, so, so, so I guess that made the, the gimmick credible, too, because, because there was a, I, I, we found it very rough. Uh, you know, in the WWF, when we were there two years as baby faces, with all the the backstabbing, all the backstages, guys come up to you, hey Jacques, hey this, and you turn around and knives would be flying over your ears, you know, because it was like a cutthroat business. And then, like the Killer Bees, and like all the other teams, we were all trying to reach that same goal, become champions. And then, and so, no matter how much you're nice and diplomat with the guys, and you see them polite, in the back of your mind is like, I want to be him, I want to be better than him, I want to, I want to be on top. So, so, so it was a, it was a rough time there. I mean, just try to compete with everybody like that, but, but becoming heels at the time that we did with Jimmy Hart became our manager and made us go to Memphis and to Elvis's studios yeah. to record our song. Uh-huh. You know, uh, what's it called? That studio, Elvis's studio, uh-huh. you know, what's called Jimmy would say it by heart just like that. But it's a, it's a, it's an icon studio in Memphis where Elvis did all his, uh, recordings. Well, that uh, was Sam, Sam wrestling. Was it Sam, uh, Sam music or sun music, sun music. Yeah, sun music. Oh sun yeah. Music? Where Elvis, yeah. That's where you went. Yeah. That's where we went where to record. And was, wow. Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis. We crossed him there. We crossed a few guys in the studios. It was amazing. And, uh, so, so that was, that was a fun time. And Sean, I got to tell you, wishing you guys, a uh, a, a, a great independence day when it was Thanksgiving, yeah, you know, it didn't you get us very much liked so easy by all the Americans. <laughs> oh, and, and what a great time. 
Yeah, we talked about it when we, we started chatting here, that all American boys and the lyrics, if you listen to it, they're hilarious. As you mentioned, we don't like heavy metal. We don't like rock and roll. All we like to listen to is Barry Manilow. I mean, people still hey. remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh don't this, don't I, forget that. Don't forget that Jimmy scream at the end. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. That was great. Great times. Oh God. And and uh, as far as being heels and over, I mean, that, yeah, it, it, that was uh, uh, launched your career again. Um, but when you look, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something specific. What made us a great, great team? Uh, that's what we are told. Is because every time. We cheated. It was always behind the referee's back. The referee would never see us do a false tag or a false anything. Every time the referee would turn around, it was clean. But people were pissed off because we fooled the referee very good. And, and, and by doing that, the referee turned around and said, well, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't see it. And what heat that we got just for being able to, to, to be able to work behind the referee's back. Yeah, no, you were the, the, the kids that you were the kids in the classroom that uh you know were just nasty <laughs> and but the teacher loved you because you were you know you were just so sweet you were just oh yeah well hi you're gent perfect gentleman in the ring to the referee and then you were pulling this hi i'm Jacques, and this is raymond and we're the fabulous <laughs> Rougeau brothers <laughs> man uh, uh, I, we could talk about a lot of the events and the in the matches you're involved in, but uh, you got to WrestleMania three has got to really stand out. Pontiac Silverdome, ninety three thousand wow. people. You take on the, the dream team, uh, Brutus and Val and Greg Valentine and uh, uh, Dino Bravo, and you sure. along with uh, you know uh, that has to really is that one of the uh, shining moments that really stand out to you in that crowd? Well, you know it's one of the moments that I when I uh, through the years that followed my career with the WWF is something that I've used tremendously, uh, yeah. showing videos of a golf cart taking us from the room the dressing room to the ring it took about yeah. two minutes to get there it was so far and it was like we show that to people it was an indoor record at the time for many years and to see 93,000 people when you think of going to see the Montreal Canadiens in front of 18,000 people and you tell the people it was the 93,000 people like five buildings like the Molson Center or the, the Montreal Forum people they couldn't identify to that it was like so huge and and and, and who could forget the to be honest with you, who could forget the, the, the popularity of Hulk and the giant, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, 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 yeah. Bobby yeah. Enon being the manager of the giant. And it was, it was absolutely, for me, it was uh, unreal. It was unreal. When you look at this today and you see, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm promoting an event uh, coming up next August, which I'm wrestling with my three sons in Montreal for the first time. Really? You're, yeah. You're getting back in the ring, huh? You're in I've, I've never stopped. I've never yeah. stopped. I've always been in the ring. I've never stopped, but in my own wow. federation. And, yeah. and, and, and to be honest with you, but it's the first time I'll have a chance to wrestle with my three sons together. And you know what? I'm, I'm selling tickets now for my show next year, and there's 12,000 people that are coming in an outdoor stadium. But for an independent show, 12,000 people, and, and I'm selling my own tickets. Like, you know, I go meet the companies, and I, I sell my own tickets. Yeah. And, and there's something else, Sean, i got to tell the people. People are not going to identify myself with what I'm going to say, but I have to tell you this. It's amazing. Uh, 18 years ago, I started my, my federation, uh, a nonviolent movement in wrestling. You may not even know what I'm talking to you about, but let me finish. It's important to me. I, I, I present a show. I'm trying to figure this out. There's no kicks and no punches. There's no girls in my show. There's no beer sold in the arenas. Nobody's allowed to swear in my show. <laughs> not even the fans. The fans swear. 
people, my, my security guards go tell them, please don't do that because my show is for four years and older. And it's wow. a family oriented show. And it's a family. And it's a, like a Walt yeah. Disney kind of show. Yeah, and at the okay. same time, 18 years ago, I started doing conferences in schools about bullying. You know, because of the incident that happened with me and the Bulldogs, that changed my life personally, yeah. you know, personal. Uh-huh. And, and so, I, so, so it marked me. And I started helping kids 18 years ago. And, and now I do about 20, 30 schools per year. I go for free. I just go talk to the kids. But now all the schools in Quebec, they, they want to see me. They want me to go talk about bullying because yeah. it's a big subject in Quebec oh, yes, right now. Yes. And, and, and even this morning, I went to see a company. They called me. They, they bought 100 tickets this morning, a company, uh, for my show next year. And they told me, they said, Jacques, we just want to say that what you're doing for society, not for wrestling, but for society, for our kids, we're going to be behind you. And then for the last five years, all my shows are sold out. And this one, but there are, it's between three and 5,000 people per show. But this one is 12,000 people uh-huh. next year. And, uh-huh. and then my national anthem, you know, the national anthem that they sing at the beginning of hockey games and stuff. Yes. Well, me, it's going to be an intimidation anthem. It's going to be a song written for people that are bullied. Uh-huh. And then there's a professional singer that's going to come and sing in the ring with her mom. She's 16 years old. She won The Voice, by the way. And, and you know the, the show The Voice on TV? Yeah, okay. oh, yeah absolutely. It's huge so, here, so, yeah. So, so, so this girl won The Voice here, and she's going to come and sing a song. She's 16 years old. Her mom's coming with the guitar in the back, and there's going to be four little kids from school coming to demonstrate the song, like the bullying part. Like when it uh-huh. starts, it's not good. And in the middle of the song, it gets better, and at the end, yay, there's no more bullying. And that's uh-huh. going to be my national anthem them for my show in front of 12,000 people next year. That's so and I have 100 buses, 100 buses coming from from five-hour drive away from my show. Uh, we already booked 100 buses. There's 4,000 kids coming where they're coming by bus and they're getting a book when they come into the show about helping them how to deal with life, like taking the right decisions, sports, uh, school. And, and, and it's a book that's given to them when they come in for free. And at the end of my book, there's all the pictures of my boys that are wrestling that night. So they're going to autograph them by the ring at the end of the show. And they're going to keep that book to help them in life and school and stuff. So I really took a turn in life for 18 years. And I've been helping the kids in Quebec. And so things are going so good and so well for me. And so, so, so I'm very, very excited and happy what's happening in my life today. Well, you know, uh, let's if if there are people who could make that show and people listen from around the world here, uh, Jacques, how would they get tickets to the event and find out more? Five one four. I'll give you a phone number right away. It's an admission okay. outlet. It's called, yeah. and it's uh, everywhere on the world. So it's five one four two zero seven six. I'm sorry. Let me start that again. Five one four. 790-1245, 790-1245 in a 514 area code. And, and you'll book right away. Just say the Jacques Rougeau show in August next year, and, and they could come and see something absolutely amazing. It's going to be historical here in Quebec because of the Rougeau family and me retiring next year for good. It's my third retirement match, by the way. <laughs> uh, but anyway, next year is my really uh, – I'm 58 next year, so and I never had a chance, like I said, to wrestle with my three sons together. And so it's going to be the most important day of my life since the first most important day of my life is when I had my first wrestling match. Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned, you know, how that incident with the Bulldogs changed your life. And uh, I, I do want to get into talking about that because it and there's a lot of a different sides of this. I want to talk to you uh, to that specific thing. But um, back in that time um, and I came in in, in 1988 the WWF really was and uh, was the Wild West, and here you had Vince bringing <laughs> in you know people from old school, right? 
who from, came from generations and families and, and old school. And then you had this collision of people like me from the outside. I came from the, the, you know, the broadcast production world and people from who were bodybuilders. And you had this collision. And uh, a lot of the old school uh, ways of doing things still existed. People, they, they spoke carny when you came in the locker room. It, take you, it took you a long time before anybody would accept you or even talk to you. It took me a, a while. Um, and you know, there, there were ribs and you wouldn't, you know, I told you, no, they would tell you, don't fall asleep on a plane. Don't take your shoes off. You know, there's, is, but there was another element to it. There was a, there was a dark side, uh, to that and, uh, talk a little bit about how that existed. And it wasn't just, to, it didn't come down to your incident. There was a lot of stuff going on back then. Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. The biggest uh, ribbers and jokers were the, the the bulldogs with Mr. Fuji. You know, yeah. Mr. Fuji. Well, some of, but them, some of the uh, other guys, yeah, but some of the other guys like, you know, Owen and those guys, they, they were, you know, and, and uh, you know. Yeah, Kurt but Hennig. there were different right. ribs. Yeah, but right. it was different right. ribs. Were, like Owen Hart right. would play a joke on you like it would be everybody would laugh and yeah. you would laugh too because right. it was funny. Right. And, and the, but there were some guys that, that would cut your pants when you're in the ring and you'd come out and you would have only a one-legged pant there, you know, to, to go out in the cold and the snow. And the, and the boys would find it funny except the one that was ribbed. And, and, and so there was those kind of ribs, which were the Bulldogs kind of ribs and which was Perfect's kind of ribs. And, and, and so, so uh, you know, the, the animosity really started uh, in, in Madison Square Garden in New York. I will never, never forget that look on their faces when Vince called us together, the Bulldogs and ourselves, and, and, and Vince said, guys, I would like to have a 20-minute Broadway, a 20-minute match where there's no winners. And they were champions of the world, and then and we were just upcoming, you know. And, and, and when that happened, the Bulldogs looked at us like, yeah. we're not beating these guys? Like, what the hell? You know, and, 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 and it was like, so we went and had a great match. Go see SummerSlam. I can't remember what year it was. I think 89, maybe uh, 89 or, or 88 SummerSlam. You'll see the Bulldogs against the Rougeos in Madison Square Garden. What a match we had. But at the same time, the Bulldogs felt threatened mm. and for their titles, I guess, for their run. And, 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 and so then on, the animosity it. started then. And, and, and then after that, when... Uh, uh, don't ask me how it happened. I just remember one other incident that, 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 that kind of put that stuff together. We were in Syracuse, New York, which is about, uh, uh, I would say, uh, a three hour drive, uh, maybe four hour drive, uh, at the most from Montreal, my hometown. And we were finishing the 25 day tour in Syracuse. So, so there was an airport in Syracuse, which there was a last flight at 9.20 in the evening going to Montreal, arriving at 10 o'clock. It's like a 40-minute flight. So we had a chance to go to sleep at home an extra night in the month. So we, I went to see the chief. I took, a, I took a book first, which is called the OAG. I don't know if you ever had that book. or yeah, it's the a flights. book that tells you all the flights, the flights yes. that exist in the world. Yeah. yeah, we used that back then. And, and, and so I went into the OAG. And I looked at the Bulldogs that were on third match, and we were on, like, seventh match. So I went to look in the OAG. Is it possible for the Bulldogs to make their way to Calgary from Syracuse that night? There was no flights, no nothing. So I went to see the chief, Chief Jay Strongbow, yeah. and I said, Chief, could you do me a favor? Would you put us on third and put the Bulldogs on seventh? And because they can't go home, but we have a chance to go sleep with our kids at home and my wife, you know, an yeah. extra day. So Chief said, yeah. sure, for sure. But that pissed the Bulldogs off. Whatever, say what you want. But from yeah. that day on, it was like we took that flight that night. But when I went to get 
and we went into the ring. We couldn't even take a shower. We finished our match, and we just put our sweatsuits on top of our boots and everything. We ran to the plane, but before I left the ring, uh, the arena, I mean, in the, the dressing room, I picked up my bags and everything, and Kurt Enning looked at me in my eyes, and then he looked at my bag. Uh-huh. And then he looked at me in my eyes, and then he looked at my bag. And he did about three, four times. And then I just it clicked to me, like, oh, shit, the Bulldogs played a joke on me. Mm-hmm. And so I went into my bag fast. I looked. I didn't miss anything. I didn't see anything missing. So I took, we ran off to the airport, got home. And when I was home during my three, four days, I, uh, I looked at my bag the next day. You know, I took a day off. And then the second day, I always go to work out. Even at home, I'd go to work out. And then I couldn't find my gloves, my belt, my things to work out, everything, my straps. So then I knew that's what they took away from me. Mm-hmm. So then when I, 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 I came back to, to, to the next show, I, told, I, had, I made the mistake of telling Fuji. I said to Fuji oh, and Kurt Enning, I said, I'm not going to stand for this shit. I'm going to see Vince when I see him next time. I'm, I'm going to put a stop to this cutting things and stealing things. I don't need that in my life. I don't need it. And plus, I was older than the Bulldogs. I had more years in the business than them. I had more notoriety. So it's a question of respect also, you know. And for me, it was. I took it personal. Yeah. And, and, and so when I got to Miami after my days off, I went into the dressing room, and I never made it to Vince because when I got into the dressing room, Kurt Enning was sitting at the back end of the dressing room, the far end of the dressing room, and there was a table there with cards on it, and we loved to play cards before the shows all the time, and uh, at least till an hour before the show because we had yeah. a lot of time to kill. Uh, yeah. so, so I sat down, but he made me sit down back to the door. And when I was playing cards with him out of nowhere, the Bulldogs came in, Cowboy Sorton came in, Don Morocco came in, uh, Anvil and Bret Hart came in, all the six, because, you know, the four are brother-in-laws. The Bulldogs and the Hearts are all brother-in-laws. So it's like a clique. And yeah, Morocco and Orton were friends with them. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so that was a group of really troublemakers. So anyway, so they came in behind me, and I, and I was so smooth. I had my cards in my hand playing, and the next thing you know, I got whacked on the side of my ear, and I fell off my chair. And when I fell off my chair, I was so dizzy. I didn't know what was happening. And I turned around. And when I turned around, bang, I was being punched in the face. And, and the only thing I could remember hearing is, you're going you're gonna to tell Vince, huh? You're going to tell Vince, huh? And then he kicked the living death out of me on the floor with shoes in my face. And, yeah. and, and you know, so, so I took a beating. The hunchback of Notre Dame, his big thing, a lump on his back, he had a nothing on me because I had it in my face. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, and, and when that happened, uh, it took me a week before I, before I, I, I got my senses back. I, I wanted to quit the business. I hated the business. I wanted to leave like all the other guys who left when they were ribbed too much. But I said to myself after a few days, I said, I'm not going to leave the dream of my life for these idiots. Now, so Raymond, Raymond was in that locker room, too, didn't he? Well, he was hurt at the time. I think he was on he crutches. He was on crutches. He, could, yeah. he was on crutches. And then and Raymond even got up when they were kicking the shit out of him. Excuse me. But yeah. when yeah. they were doing that, Raymond even got up with his crutches. And then he t- and Dynamite Kid just turned around and punched him in the face. And then Raymond backed up a few steps and he looked at him with that look. And, and, then, the, and then he looked at Dynamite and he told him to his face. He says, you're going to beat up a guy on crutches? And yeah. then the Dynamite looked back at him and he says, nope. I'm going to wait till you heal, and then I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. And then, so that's what was said then. But that's why everybody thought Raymond was going to come and kick his ass. But I'm the one who did the job a week later. Yeah, now, uh, this, this is, uh, this is uh, you know, I wanted to explain to people back then um, that, you know, as I mentioned, it was the Wild West. You know, uh, it was, I mean, what you guys really, when it came down to it, you settled your own scores. I mean, it was, uh, you know, somebody had a, a problem with somebody in the ring or whatever, they were working too stiff. Or what, you took care of it in the locker room, 
uh, you know, and, and would get the guy. No one else uh, would. One no one else would. They all, right. they all so, let the ribs going. They Vince let all that happen, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I still blame them up to today uh, for everything that happened. Uh, but but I got to tell you, uh, well, I remember when the when when that happened in Miami, and I got my ass whipped. <laughs> my father was there because my father's a snowbird, and in the winter he goes down to Florida, and yeah. uh, so my father came and, and uh, he brought us to the show. And when he brought us to the show, he uh, he went in the stands to sit down. He had no idea this was going to happen. And so I was staying at his house in Miami for one night before we went to Chicago the next day. And when that happened, when I got out of the arena, my father saw my face and he saw what happened. He tried to talk to me. But for three days, I didn't speak to either my father or my brother on the road. We were in the same car, the same rooms at night sleeping. I would not talk for three days. I was in a, a serious trauma in my mind. And then, and then finally, on the, four days after that, seven days later, I called my father on a Sunday night. It's been a week now since I didn't spoke to anybody. And then I called my father and I told my dad. I said, uh, I told my dad. I said, uh, I said, no. And he says, hello. I said, no. Because I couldn't talk. My mouth was so messed up. And I said, no. And then he said, uh, uh, he says, shock. I said, yeah, Shmink. I just want to let you know that tomorrow. Was, which was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I said, tomorrow I'm doing my comeback. And, 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 and then he, my father, you know what my father answered me? My father, he was a tough guy. And when my father answered me, he says, you know what you're going to do? He says, before you go to the show tomorrow, he says, I want you to go to the bank. And I said, go to the bank? Why go to the bank? He says, get yourself a roll of quarters. <laughs> and he says, when you hit him, he says, hit him to kill him. Hit him to kill him. So that's what I did. I, I did. I don't want to tell, tell you the whole scenario how it happened. We choose choose our spot, choose our point, and uh, and when he came out of that cafeteria, I was waiting for him, and and then it was so amazing because Vince had a meeting that morning before we got there, but but I couldn't be there at ten o'clock like I was supposed to, like everybody else at ten, because I was at the bank getting my roll of quarters. So Vince called everybody at ten o'clock in the middle of the arena, and he told everybody, he says. I'm tired and fed up of this bullshit fighting between you guys. I don't want this anymore. And the next guy who fights, who gets into an argument, he's out of here, out of the company. So I guess from that moment on at 1030, when he finished his meeting, we weren't there yet. Everybody kind of loosened down like, okay, there's going to be no more comebacks. It's finished. Rujo's not going to do anything and it's over. And so Vince kind of helped me in a way because at 10, 11 o'clock when we arrived, we went there and we just, uh, we went to sit by the ring in the middle of the arena. There was nobody there. And when the guys went to eat, we waited till they went to eat. Because uh, another thing I, my father taught me also when I was growing up is like, if you have to fight with somebody, don't fight with a full stomach because you, you can't. You'll lose your breath. You'll, you'll, so wait. So, so when I was thinking the guys were going to eat at 1130 at the cafeteria, so I waited and I let the guys go eat. And I was saying to myself, go eat and eat like a pig. You know, I wanted to put all the chances on my side. And then at about uh, 12, 15, I went to stand in front of the door at the cafeteria with Raymond and, uh, and then it happened. And when I hit him with the roll of quarters and it was the first day in a whole week that the whole six guys weren't traveling together, Brett, Anvil, Morocco, Orton, and, and, and the Bulldogs, they were all in a big town car, a Lincoln town car. The whole week they were traveling together. I don't know if they were afraid or just protecting themselves or whatever, but they were expecting the worst, I guess. And, and when Vince did his, his, his comment in the morning, his meeting, that everybody kind of loosened up. So everybody for the first time started separating. So, so I always remember being at the door of the cafeteria. I saw Orton Morocco leave the cafeteria, and I said to myself, oh, 
thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And then, and then I saw Brett and Jim Yanville leave the cafeteria, and then I was saying, my God, all those prayers I did for the whole week because I was so afraid of that moment. I was so afraid of getting yeah. beat up again. But I had to do it for the Rougeau name, for the Rougeau family. So I stood there, and then finally uh, the Davy Boy came out first, and Davy Boy wasn't the one who really kicked my face and punched me bad. It was dynamite kid. And yeah. so, so it's like God worked in mysterious ways. And then finally dynamite came out with his coffee in his hand. And I was standing there and he, and when I took a look at him and he looked at me, I put my head right back down to looking at the floor. Like, Oh no, please don't beat me no more. That's what my yeah. face was saying. Like, you know, don't beat yeah. me. I played possum. And when he came right in front of me, I killed him with my right hand punch and four teeth came flying out the two in the front, two in the bottom. And, and, and it was amazing because I knew then when I hit him with the roller quarters, I broke a knuckle too. Anyway, I hit him so hard. I was so afraid. And when he hit the ground on one knee, I knew that I won my battle and I was standing in front of me. I never saw so much blood flying. I swear to God, I was red from toe to face, but it was all his blood splitting out, flashing out at me. And I was looking at him and, and I was just staring there. I couldn't believe what happened. And then finally, you know, he just, the dynamite kid, because I guess of the steroids and all the drugs he was taking, he, it didn't kill him. <laughs> my father was wrong. So then he just looked his head up. He lifted his head up at me and he grabbed my tights. And I was looking at him, I was just pushing him back, like, hey, this is over with, you know, you're supposed to be dead, you know. Yeah. And, and by the time he's starting to get up, my brother Raymond was right across from me, and he was saying, hit him, God damn it, hit him. Yeah. And then I was going like, and then I started jabbing him and jabbing him. And then finally everybody jumped in and everything, and, and that was it. But, but, but to be, the funniest thing of that is a lot of people after that said, oh, Jesus Christ, Jacques, a tough guy and all that. But the truth is, Sean, I'm a chicken shit. I'm well, well, I'm you know, that's the thing I really want to talk about too, Jacques, is that you, you know, you talk about how, uh, helping kids out and, and, uh, and combating bullies, but what I found so compelling about this, and I've heard you talk about this story before is the anguish you went through and they continued to taunt you through that period because they saw, they thought, oh, he's not going to do anything. And I know that Raymond said, Hey, Jacques, I'll take care of this because a receipt's going to be delivered. But you uh, knew that if you let your big brother take care of it, it was going to kill you. Your reputation and respect, like I said, this is this was old school. This wasn't, uh, you know, I'll go talk to the boss and this is uh, harassment or, you know, this was old school. You had to settle the score. And you talk about, you know, the nights leading up to this and uh, Raymond putting up the, the mattresses in the hotel and, you, you you know, telling you how to punch. He wanted me to become uh, a killer, my brother Raymond. Well, I, I mean, but, but <laughs> how, how, I mean, really, how much, how difficult was that time? Sean, I'll tell you how, I'll tell you how difficult it was that week before I did my comeback. Yeah. I, I lost 15 pounds that week, 15 <laughs> pounds. I couldn't, every time I ate, whether it was breakfast or supper, I'd throw up. I was afraid. I was really afraid. And I didn't, at the same time, I knew I had to do it because I didn't want to become a McFly, like in Back to the Future, you know? It wasn't well, my how could style. you move forward, too? How could you keep working? I mean, you're right. You couldn't face those guys. It like, was, it, it was, it have was to have that mentally... Respect. Mentally, Sean, it was torture. It was torture every night. You know, it was torture. And uh, and uh, but 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 you know, there's something. You know, I got to tell you one thing real fast. I don't know if you ever heard the the, the the little story about if you put a mouse in the corner or a rat in the corner and you corner him, yeah. no matter how big you are, he's gonna jump on you. And and, and I felt cornered at that point. I felt I felt threatened in my business and everything. And uh, and so I had to do it. I, I I just had to do it. I don't even know today. I look back today and I said I. I still don't know how I did it. 
to be honest with you. I didn't know how I grabbed enough nerves to do everything I did because it was a jungle and it was it was a hard place and a hard time. But 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 uh, but today, you know, it's okay now. It's uh, it, it's all okay today. I'm helping kids because of that. 18 years I've been helping kids in schools of, of fight bullying. Is that something or what? It's almost like mm. I'm I, 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 I'm and you know That's what? A... People say, oh Jacques. People say Jacques, you're such a nice guy helping the kids like this and everything. And, and the real truth is, it's a therapy for me too. You know, it's yeah. like therapy for me. But I have to I think even the next that. day. I, I have to think even the next day it was a different. It was a different world. You could eat again. You you knew that you. However, anybody thought that that went down, they had to respect you. And how how was it around the boys after that? Okay, I'll start by telling you the worst, worst, worst thing that ever happened to me after that. The next day. I managed to walk, and when I was putting one foot in front of the next, uh, in front of the other, and I was going to the airport in Fort Lauderdale because I had to go to Chicago O'Hara, mm-hmm. and and I was keep telling my mind every step, keep going, John, just keep going, it's going to be okay, keep going, keep going, and when we got into the plane and we landed into Chicago, imagine this now, I'm 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 in a trauma, I'm depressed, I'm anything you could imagine. And no more self-esteem, nothing of me. And we go to land in Chicago, and then the flight attendant picks up the microphone, and she says, Hello, everybody. Welcome to Chicago. We'd like, by the way, to wish the WWF a nice welcome on board. Hulk was there. Flair was there. Much of them. Everybody, like there was about 500 people in the plane, and they all started applauding. You know, and yeah. then when they, I had my head down, I was in my own world. I was mentally disturbed. And then yeah. finally she, she comes back to flight attendant for a second run. And then she says, I couldn't believe it. She says, oh, and by the way, we'd like to congratulate Jacques Rougeau on his boxing match last night. Wow. And, and, and she said, I don't want to speak her. Yeah. And, and, and then, and then I looked up and all the boys, the bulldogs were laughing at me and some of the boys that were all yeah. around and they were all afraid of the bulldogs. So they were laughing too. Yeah. And but, so, I was, but that killed me. That killed yeah. me that day, Sean. That yeah. killed me. And that's yeah, what I'm telling what about, the kids in school today. Yeah. You know that so you can have a bully and you can Go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Sean. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say something that when 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 I'm in I tell the kids in class today that if you have the guy, the smart guy, the tough guy, the big guy sitting in the back of the class on two legs on his chair and he's the tough guy, he laughs at people that have big ears or, or glasses that are thick or that are fat and this and that. And I say when when they start bullying in class like that he they always feed off three four guys that are that they're their friends they're, and, and yeah. they feed off them like they, they say something to hurt somebody and then they look at the three four guys around them that feed them all the time and they're laughing so so they feed like that and i tell the schools like listen guys if you don't feed the bully i know it's not going to be hard it's not going to be easy but if you don't feed the bullies what's going to happen you think after the third time they say something meanful and nobody reacts they're going to mm-hmm. stop yeah. And I've been working on that for 18 years now, and because of that moment in my life. I'm yeah, sorry if I'm talking a lot about it, Sean, but it no, comes no, back uh, and haunts but, me every time I, yeah. I talk about this. But I, I imagine, like I was, I was saying, though, but after you settled the score with Dynamite uh, Kid, um, and you had Terry Taylor, seized, Terry Taylor, you, you know Terry your, Taylor? Your, yeah, yeah, you had seized your respect <laughs> Terry, back. Yeah, Terry Taylor was the first guy, I'll never forget. He came by me the next day. Nobody was talking to me. None of the boys were talking to us. Nobody, uh-huh. because they didn't want it to. They didn't want to know the bulldogs know that they were talking to us. Uh-huh. So, so, and Terry Taylor, very, very uh, discreetly, came behind me, and he tapped me on my my butt, and uh-huh. he told me, he says, "That was wonderful, Jacques. That, <laughs> that was awesome." 
He says, I would have done it a long time ago, but he says, I didn't have the guts to do it. Wow. Terry Taylor told me that. He was the first guy who told me something. And then after that, when the, the Bulldogs quit two weeks after, they gave their notice and they quit. It's funny how all the boys, they looked at me differently, and they, they all have this big respect, which I, I, I didn't want. I didn't want that. I didn't want to be tagged as a tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be the same guy that always makes bad jokes and laugh at my own jokes and have fun in life, you know? Uh, but so, do you so, feel so, that there was a lot the, of relief after that? I mean, somebody had finally stood up to him, and uh, they were gone. And did that and change? You know what, I know there still were certainly a lot, still other guys that did that, but... Uh, you know, for the most part, there were some, there, you know, I, I want to for people to think that's the way, you know, that was all, you know, always happened there because there was a select few who were, who just had that mean side to them. Uh, the other stuff in, in the ribs, like you said, just legitimately funny. The stuff Owen did, you know, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Hulk. Hulk, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, he, he's yeah. the one who really, really created me because after that incident, Jimmy Hart told me. He says, Jacques, he says, Hulk loves you so much for the image the guys were giving. And they're always drunk in the airports and always cussing and always this. He says, what you did, he says, Hulk loves you. And that's why he came to Montreal and he put me over in the middle of the ring yeah. with a one, two, three, with no, no gimmicks, no nothing. It was yeah. a small package. I pinned him in the middle of the ring. And he, and when I came out of that match, I was in the, the flare was there. The Harlem heat was there. A lot of boys were there and, and they were all gone. When I came back in the dressing room after beating Hulk, there was nobody left. They all left. And it was amazing. And then when I got, when I was in front of the mirror, I was in front of the mirror looking at myself. Cause we had a rough match. I got to tell you, it got rough a bit there. I think Hulk yeah. regretted doing the job, but anyway, he, 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 he did it. But anyway, yeah. so when he came back in the dressing room, my lips were a little swollen and it was a rough match. Yeah. And then I, okay. I was standing in front of the mirror and then Hulk came in the dressing room and then he looked. And I looked at Hulk, and, and Hulk looked at me, and he says, uh, you okay, brother? <laughs> and then I looked at him, I said, yep. And then he said, uh, okay. So then he turned around, he walked out of the dressing room, and as he was walking out, I said, Hulk. And he turned around, and I says, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this for me? And he told me, he says, Eddie Oji, Johnny Rougeau, Jacques Rougeau, Raymond Rougeau, Arma Rougeau, Rougeau Rougeau, everything you've done to the business, Quebec, that's for my way to say thank you. And then he wow. turned around and left. And I listened to this. I'm not finished. And I felt so good. And then Jimmy Hart came right behind. And he told me, he says, uh, he came up to me and then he said, uh, it's not true, Jacques, what Hulk said. And then I looked at Jimmy. I says, what do you mean? He says, uh, Hulk did it because you beat up the bulldog. That's why he did it. Yeah. Wow. And so, so you talk about respect after that, you know, like uh, some, some side effects or or secondary uh, things that happened to me because of that thing I did, which uh, which I was put in the position I never would have think I would have done. It it really did help me for my reputation, but unfortunately, it wasn't worth the price that I paid to have a reputation like that. Yeah, but that's that's the way it was back then, uh, folks. It was uh, it was a rough, uh, very difficult world, and you had to besides just fight for one of those very few spots as a superstar. Uh, you also had to hold your own. You had, uh, like I said, you didn't, uh, you had to, uh, take care of yourself and, uh, thank God you had your brother with you. But, uh, thank when God. you think about that run, uh, <laughs> you guys, you know, you really, as the the fabulous Rougeau brothers, you had a, a great run, 86 to 90. Um, who, who are some of the, the, the best, uh, you know, angles and, and rockers, uh, rockers, tag teams rockers. 
really? Marty Janini, Shawn Michaels. You remember when I dropped the microphone? We dropped the microphone on on on, on Shawn's throat. He was leaning out of the ring, and then Jimmy Hart passed me the megaphone, and we we first I started. Uh, it was amazing because we did the gimmick where he couldn't talk anymore, Shawn. But we, yeah. we oh, really right. did a job yeah. on him. Yeah, yeah. We did a job on him, really big, and then uh, yeah. and but in, working with the rockers was so much fun. Like it was incredible. Every night it was a it was a great great time. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, uh, I got to tell you too, uh, working with a big boss man, you know, uh, as a Mountie yeah. was my, one of my highlights, you know, when I started working with the big boss man, I, they had, it was the first time they made dolls of me, like mm-hmm. all around the Toys R Us's around the world. You know, when we would land in Europe or anywhere else, me and Jimmy Hart, we'd go shopping, you know, in the malls to get some bootlegging stuff and the things yeah. that were not even promoted by WWF, but we'd go and shop me and Jimmy, we'd go shop. And, and, and I'm trying to think of uh, the, the the guys that were landing in the airplanes. They were saying, "Oh, we got to find the gym. We got to find this." And and I was looking at Jimmy like, "We got to find that Toys R Us. I want to <laughs> just make sure my doll's there." You know, like it was incredible. I I had two dolls in my name, like in my name, and and then with that, I even won the Intercontinental title. Uh, so so. So, so that was the big boss, my jailhouse match. I don't know if you remember that one, but I got, when I got put in jail into Madison Square Gardens, you know, yeah. like, do you remember that, Sean? Yeah, we did that, that, that show. Yeah, Alfred and I. And, uh, did you really? Oh, yeah. Macro. And, and Billy's so, uh, superstar, Billy Graham, was, uh, was it, a, was it a, a garden? Because I think you guys did. Didn't you do that a couple of times? I don't know no, just once. Just, just once at the Madison yeah. Square Garden. No, just no, once at that, because they came up. They came up on the. I, no, it was a pay per view because everybody around okay. the world saw it. And then, and also about that, what was fun was like they came up on the fifth floor with a a, a wagon. You know the wagon that goes on the street where you pick up bums and bandits and all those <laughs> kind of people in the streets. And, the, and the they came day, up yeah. all the way to the fifth floor, and they, they they the cops took me from the ring and brought me into the the the. the the, paddy the, the wagon. truck and then they, the paddy wagon that's right and then they brought me to the cell and yeah. and they're finishing up with that big gay guy you know seven foot tall gay guy in the, in the prison that night you know people people were, they, they really love that segment i still get talked about it still and so so that's magical and, and memorable moments for sure yeah and that uh, and i want to talk about uh, how the mountie came about but um in 90 uh you know, Ray wasn't, uh, Raymond wasn't that old. Uh, I think it was like 35 or something, but he decided he wanted to uh, step out of the ring. And how did that come about? Was his body just, uh, you know, not... No, no, like... no. There's two things that happened. The, okay. the first thing that happened, I got to tell you, was uh, the bulldog issue. And that wasn't, you know, and but the most, I'll tell you what, Raymond will tell you today, I'm pretty sure, that the turning point of our career as the Fabulous Russo Brothers is we were... Two inches, two inches close of the world tag team titles of, of taking them. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, they came right in front of us was Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Uh, and they took the titles. Yeah. And then we looked at Pat and we looked at this like, hey, didn't we give enough? Didn't we do enough? Isn't it our time now? You know, we have a whole a whole uh, country waiting for us to become champions, you know, yeah. after four years. And, and when that happened, it like discouraged us really bad. And I, uh, Raymond quit and I took a year off and that's when I came back as a Mountie. But, but that was a turning point when Vince decided yeah. to, to bypass us with Arn and Tully Blanchard for probably a good business reason. Who cares? But for us, we didn't look at it that way. We looked at it like four years we gave to the company and it was time right. for us to Our become turn. champions. Yeah. And the worst Ray part is the worst enough. part and the worst part, yeah, Ray had another. And the worst part is just before we decided to quit, 
they, the Hart Foundation were champions, and we came into Montreal in front of 20,000 people, and they gave us the belts in front of our fans. Mm-hmm. We won the title. And then four days later in the Montreal newspaper, they wrote that it was the wrong guy in the ring. So finally, the hearts are still champions. So when we got on TV the next Saturday, they never mentioned our win in Montreal. They never saw people really got disgusted like that, but not more than us. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like he gave it to us to what? To please the fans in Montreal for one night? You know, that's we were worth more than that. And and bottom line. so, So that was a turning point. So you, you stepped out for a year. You went back. I don't know if you worked in Canada, but what 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 got you to come back? Was it the oh idea? Did God. they come to you with the Mountie idea, or what? What is it that? Uh, yeah, you yeah, back yeah. Vince called me up and he offered me this this great gimmick, and it was all Vince's idea. He had Big Boss Man was doing very well. He finished his run with Hulk. And uh, so, but he was a Cobb County, a police from Georgia. And uh, so he thought of a gimmick, a police from Canada, the mounted yeah. police against the police. In yeah. It's a natural gimmick. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, so that run was just absolutely, and Ray Trailer, God bless his soul. I, I think he's one of the nicest guys like uh, Tito Santana and Virgil. And I could name a few guys that are Owen Hart. They were so nice. And Ray Trailer, big boss man, he, he, he was always the kind of guy that you'd go work night after night in the ring. And every time he'd finish a match, he'd always come up to me and say, Jacques, is there something that I'm doing that's hurting you or something? No, uh-huh. no, Ray, everything's great. Thank you so much. And, and so he was a guy who cared about his opponent. And, and so it was a wonderful time uh, with my cattle prod, my electric shock stick there. And I had a great time with that. Yeah, was, was that, uh, was that uh, your innovation? The shock stick? Yeah. 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 That was my idea. <laughs> you know, because people I'm a manager, talk about that. Yeah. If a manager in, in Quebec, the, he was in, in the younger days. Uh, yeah. He was very well known. Eddie Creechman. He was Abdullah's manager. And all the big guys that come in, Eddie Creechman was a Jewish kind of guy. And he had all the jewelries on his hands. And, and he'd always make interviews and say, uh, you know what? I'm taking all the money. These guys don't speak French. They don't know what they're doing. I'm taking all the money here. And But he was he was so hated, that, uh, that, that manager. And then he had an electric cattle prod. And then he'd go around with it. And he used to scare me. I was like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old and in the dressing room. And he used to chase me with that cattle prod. And he used to scare me so much that one day when I became the bounty, I said, hey, I got to start scaring people with this shock stick. It's awesome because it did the job on me anyway when I was young. So, so that, that I offered it to Vince and he loved it. He, uh, so we went. I'll never forget and, my first. Was it a real but, uh, shock stick? Everybody always wants. Oh to, yes. I mean, it, oh, yeah. up. it was a real one. It was a lawnmower, a lawnmower, a lawnmower. Uh, how do you say it? The cut the grass, a lawnmower. Yeah, lawnmower. Yeah. Uh, it was a coil, the coil and the motor. So yeah. there was a negative and a positive, and they put it in that stick. And when they put the the the, the, the like put the click the button on the wires, it would make a big big flame at the end, yeah. and it was really ah, a, yeah. it was yeah. a, a. I remember the first night I used it, it was against Coco Beware, and yeah. then I'll never forget that night because Coco always liked me. We were always friends and everything. And just before we went to the ring, I was so nervous. And then I had two buttons on my my stick. I had the on and off button, and then on the back where my little finger would reach, I had an emergency button on. That When I turn that button on, it won't work at all. There's no way it would work. Yeah. And But when I turn that button on, then I could turn the off and on switch on. But what happened is I was so nervous, and Coco Beware was in line in the middle of the ring. He couldn't do nothing because I just beat him. 
But the thing is, is I, I screwed up, Sean. I, 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 I whipped my finger. I don't know what happened. I, and, and, and I shocked the hell out of Coco. Oh and he was all wet. He oh, was smelling like yes. a pig. Yeah, I swear smelling. I could smell him like a pig. And then it was like, holy shit. And then I left to the dressing room. When I got back, but I was so like, excited and happy and everything i didn't realize i did what i did and so i'm backstage when he sold it he was selling it i'm waiting for coco to come back and tell me what a great match we had you know and then he comes out of the 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 curtains open he says i am and he was like panicking and he wanted to beat my ass up and i was and i was saying hey 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 wait 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 And, and then he and then he screamed at me and screamed. And I just took it all because it was my fault. Yeah. But then, you know, uh, so yes, it was a real shock stick. Ask Coco Beware, he'll tell you. Did it, it, did it have a good good kick to it? I mean, what was it? Was it like a taste? Well, let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you, uh, Sean. If you want to come have dinner at my place one of these nights, I'll just stick it under your chair. And you tell me, you'll answer me if it's pretty hot or not. You know? I'm just, uh, I, these are the questions that come in. I'm just, uh, you know, I, I'm just, this is to make sure I'm just uh, verifying information, but, uh, I know, but I remember that thing, you know, it, it lit up, you know, and it had, and of course it had some sound effects to it when we sweetened it in the uh, production. But exactly. That was the fun thing about it is you guys put some sound to it. That oh, yeah. was awesome. <laughs> you know, like, oh man. Yeah, that was, that, that was, was and yeah, another yeah. thing that was, that wasn't funny too, but I'll tell you another story. Talk about the bulldogs. Uh, uh, the Bulldogs uh, was was run. Uh, Davey Boy had came back after that because Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy they left and they split right. up. Yeah, but back. about a year later, even when I was back uh, as a Mountie, Davey Boy Smith came again. And then yeah. came and then when he came, he uh, he came into Philadelphia. Uh, it was in the arena of Philadelphia. And, uh, and when I found the news, because a lot of the boys came and told me, "Hey Jacques, you know the Bulldogs here tonight." And I said, "Huh." And then I was like, I was alone now. Raymond wasn't there anymore. I was me oh, in yeah. this world, like, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. So I started being nervous. But I put up a front. So then when Davey Boy came in the dressing room, the minute he stepped in the dressing room, he looked at me and he says, can I speak to you in the shower for a minute? Oh, and like, I looked Uh-oh. at him and I, swear yeah. to, and I swear to God, I looked at him and I knew it was it. And I said, I looked at him and I played his game. I said, yep, no problem. So I went, I walked right behind him. I didn't go in front of him. I walked behind him. And yeah, when he right. got into the showers, he turned around, he looked at me and he said, Jacques, I just want to let you know that my partner was an idiot. I'm sorry what happened. And I don't want no trouble with you whatsoever. He says, and, and we became friends after that. We worked together. But I'll have to say that when I had my shock stick, I, Davy Boy he still had a little bit of Davy Boy in him because yeah. I was in Europe one time on a trip and he was chasing the whole tour. He kept stealing my stick and chasing Virgil with it. <laughs> and Virgil was running around the arena, like running from them, literally, you know, and that wasn't funny. But I guess when you think about that, it's funny, but, but those were the kind of jokes I used to like to play. But yes, my, my stick, uh, my stick was very, very impressive and very, uh, it worked. <laughs> now you mentioned, you mentioned Davy boy. And, uh, I, I always liked Davy boy. Uh, I think that it kind of fell under the influence of uh of dynamite kid. that could be that could be because he was very nice baby boy. yeah and, and they were very you know and it, those families are very tight uh when and you know what has happened to uh, dynamite kid since uh when you think of him now and, and it seems like you're very at peace with everything as far as you know like you said it does fire you up again but uh what do you think about when when you uh when you remember that and, and know what what his life is like now well, you know, I, uh, the first thing that I think is um, one of the greatest tag teams of, of ever 
coming to the WWF in our era. It was yeah. the Bulldogs. I, I yeah. loved the way they work. I was like a fan of them, really big time. Yeah. Fan. Yeah. I also think that 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 uh, um, Dynamite Kid today, because uh, I, I think he 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 regrets. Uh, some of the things that happened in his career, but I think that uh, the cause of all that is steroids and drugs that he took yeah. that, that drove him like the way he was. But Dynamite Kid, personally, uh, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I like I liked the guy, you know. Yeah. Before we had our incident, you know, he, I was a fan, you know. I was a groupie yeah. of the Bulldogs. So, yeah. so, so today, when I look back at it today, I, I think in my own mind, I, it would it'll almost be like, it would be nice to sit down with him and talk, and 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 uh, because I don't and know. You've never I, had a conversation I, since that never, time you never, met with Vince never, at the table. Never seen and him, the, talk to him. Yeah. Never seen him again. And and even though the worst part was like three years later after it happened, yeah. I, I flew into a convention in Manchester, England. That's where his home is, yeah. and I heard that that's where he lived. And I flew in to do an autograph thing there, a convention. And I swear to God, I got to tell you something. I was, I was scared <laughs> when I got off the plane in, in, in England, I'd start looking on each side of me. And I'm saying, if I was him, if I was him, I would have made sure that, that, that something would have happened, you know, because his career stopped. It was the end of his career that when he, when he messed with me, it was downhill after that. He fought with his family. His wife left him. He fought with Davy boy and his world crumbled. And then he's in a wheelchair. Today. I, I feel sorry for dynamite today. And, 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 and uh, but, but I, I think I'd like to sit down and, and, and tell him that, that he was my idol. <laughs> you know, I, I, well, I think you know, I'd like Jacques, to tell him. Jacques, I hope you get that chance. I really do. I think that uh, maybe that, uh, you know, maybe sometime, I mean, you, uh, you, People bring you over to England all the time. Maybe you'll take that uh, opportunity. I hope you do. Uh, do you think you, you, you that might happen? I, w- I wouldn't refuse the offer. I'm not uh, going to go look for it. It I was know. a painful okay. time in my life. But I would. I would. I, I think that if anybody told me that I was at the same convention as Dynamite, I, I think I'd, I'd walk my way over. I, 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 Unless he beat me up again, but 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 if not, there I, I think I'd like to I'd like that. I think it would clear. I think it would clear a big piece in my heart that's hurting and, and my mind. Uh, that, that, but I'd like to thank him. I'd, I'd still like to thank him for my for my future and my 18 years now of helping kids in schools. I think it's yeah. all because of him. And then, yeah. so he made my world better when he tried to make it worse. But, yeah. but it worked out good for me. But I, but I think I would just like to tell them that, that for me, they were the best tag team ever. And that, that, that I feel sorry for Dynamite. I really do. Because when his wife leaves you and your kids leave you and everything happens like that, nobody deserves that in life. Nobody. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you, you certainly, uh, that, that's really gracious of you to say that. And I hope, I really, I just hope one day that, that uh, you guys get to meet. Uh, Talking about the wrapping up as a singles as we get back on track here, which, you know, on my podcast, we always get off the tracks, and I, that's one of the things I love about it. But uh, getting to WrestleMania 7, um, is that, that that match against Tito and as the Mountie, was that, uh, I guess, you know, because you did take the belt from Brett, you held it for a couple of days. But what really stands out as the Mountie as, uh, you know, I guess the, the, the greatest match as, uh, as that, uh, that character? Wow. Wow. I'll tell you what. Because you had the great grunts with Bubba, I mean, with the boss man and, uh, you know, but 
You know, uh, match. You know, I gotta tell you the truth. Uh, no, uh, working with Jim D'Angelo, Meinhardt, and Brett wasn't easy. <laughs> but, yeah. but, well, I'll tell you why it wasn't easy. You gotta understand. Well, as far as com- compatibility, uh, compatib- compatibility. I don't know how to say compatibility? that. Compatibility. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Working together, it was awesome with those guys. But I got to tell you, uh, Jim was a little conceited on himself. Like, you know, we had to work hard to, to make him look bad. You know, it was yeah. hard. And, yeah. but, but Brett was worse. Brett, I'll tell you, I, I love Brett to death. I enjoyed all my matches with him. But what a selfish guy in the ring. You know, like uh, he, he would, you could never beat those guys. Even when the time when they had the belts and they came to Montreal and they gave us the belt for one night, you know, after yeah. four years of working together, Jesus Christ. And, 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 but Brett was a guy who, I guess he knew how to market himself to be a, a very, very strong personality. And so he had his way of doing it. But, but unfortunately the thing I didn't like about that was like, I always thought to myself, like Brett, if you sit down and think about it for the last four years we've been working together two years as me being the good guys and you, the bad guys. And then you guys be the bad guys and us, the, I mean, us, the bad guys and you, the good guys for another two years. Uh, I, I want you to sit down, Brett, and think how, how do you think you got so popular? You right. know, it's, it's with the help of guys like us. Yeah, you you know? so, yeah. so, so, so it's like, I think, you know, Brett was selfish uh, as far as doing jobs and stuff like that, it was very hard to get a win over Brett. Even the time, you know, I'll go further than that. And don't forget, I love the guy. Don't forget. And, and the person to person, I love the guy. But business is horrible. Uh, I remember in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts, when I took the belt from Brett, yeah. uh, the intercontinental belt. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you this, but before we went out, we went to sit with Vince to, to get this switch over. And Brett was like, there was no way. And then, and finally, finally, after they talked to him and talked to him and talked to him and made him promises, I guess, uh, he said, okay, I'll do the job for Jacques, but you have to announce before I get into the ring that I have a pneumonia and the doctor said that yeah. I shouldn't wrestle. Yeah. What the hell, Brett? Jesus Christ, give me some credibility. You know, like, okay, how, so was, I'm the how, was that, how was that pneumonia that he had at the time? <laughs> <laughs> was he coughing a lot? Not at all. He was just, he, no, he just told the, the people, he wanted the people to know that he had pneumonia and the doctor told him not to wrestle because he had to drop the belt. Uh, but he was well, there was a lot going on then too. I mean, he was in the middle of contract negotiations, so that you know there was a lot happening. Uh, uh, well, what about Shawn Michaels and him? Uh, was there still yeah. a lot of things going on then too? You yeah. know, so listen, you got let's let's be honest. I love the guy. He's one of the best workers I work with. I work with his dad. I work with him for many years. I've crossed him. He, he's a great friend of mine. I call him uh, once every three, four, five months. We talk, but business wise, he's a shit. You know, he's selfish. <laughs> And that's it. And, but, but he's still a great guy. You know, he's still a great guy. I think uh, even today, I'm starting to think, I look at myself in the mirror and say, maybe you should have been an asshole too. Maybe you would have went higher in the business, you know, by, by not agreeing and not always being so easygoing, like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I thought that yes, sir, would pay off. And it did in a way. It did yes, in a way. Did. But I, you had a hell of a career. Uh, yeah, but and never, you didn't mind carrying the belt over to Roddy a couple of days later at the Royal Rumble. I mean, you knew all this. Uh, I didn't mind. I didn't yeah. mind. It's a, you know what? I got to tell you something. Uh, this is a business. Uh, you know, it, I've never beat anybody in my life. I've never was a real champion. It's all arranged. It's all fixed. You know, so let's get down to earth here. If, if that, that's what they <laughs> want and they give me, they take me 
to change belts from, from, from Brett to Rowdy Piper, and they use me in between. What a great honor. You know, that's the way I looked at it. And I remember when that happened that night, uh, they came into the dressing room. Uh, Pat said, Vince wants to see you. So we went, Pat, Vince, and me in the dressing room. And when we got in the dressing room, uh, we sat in front of each other. Uh, and then he said, uh, Jacques, he says, uh, I got good news and bad news. He says, I said, okay. Uh, I thought I did something wrong, you know. And then, and then he says, uh, we're going to give you the belt tonight. No. I just thought right then, the Journal de Montréal, the Montreal newspaper, I'm going to send that picture tonight. You know, it's like, it's incredible. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, so, so, so it was a big thing for me. And then he says, hold on, hold on. He saw me all excited. He says, hold on, sit down, sit down. He says, you're going to lose it tomorrow night. <laughs> you know, or the next night. I can't remember. And then it was like, a hesitation in my face, like disappointment a bit, but at the same time, it says, Okay, but can I take a picture with the belt tonight at least, you know? And, uh, <laughs> it goes to the record books. It's in the record books. You are, we were an intercontinental champion. So, so, so it just goes to show that, that, that all this is, is a business, yeah. you know? Yeah. And some guys took it too seriously and some others went along. Good. Like the night, I'll give you another great night too, which I was flattered. Uh, uh, something happened with Macho Man and uh, he just left. I don't know what happened. He just left. So they needed a big heel. Uh, I'm sorry. They needed a big baby face on the, the week that was coming up on TV. And they didn't, they didn't have nobody to replace Macho Man. So what they did is they took Sid Vicious. Uh, Sid Vicious? And, uh, yeah. and they, they, the they, they, what they yeah, did okay. is they turned him baby face. And the only guy in the world that, that, that they thought that could turn him baby face was me. So what they did is they sent me in the ring with my cattle brought to Jimmy Hart, and I started cutting it out of the room. You know what? You bunch of hillbillies out here. Let me tell you something. And then I started doing my interview. There's not a man in this place. There's not a man in this world that could meet me. Not even you. And not even you. And then Sid Justice came out. And when he came out, people forgot he was a heel. They cheered him like he was Hulk. And they wanted him to kick my ass. They <laughs> wanted to kick the Mounties' ass all the way back up to Canada. And, and that's what he did. And, 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 but they turned him babyface in one night. And you know what, Sean? They used me for that. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's you flattering. you could do it. Yeah. That's flattering. Uh, we're going to wrap up here soon with this uh, part of it. I but, have to. Uh, my supper's on the table. My girlfriend's <laughs> in the window saying, what are you doing? What the heck are you talking? Said, Tell me, Sean Mooney. Sh- she thinks I'm talking to my mistress okay. or something. You, know, what the hell? <laughs> you don't talk to your mistress that long. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, how much heat did you get with the uh, with the Mountie gimmick from the from the real Mounties? Because that was a big deal. Oh, it was a lot. They they took me off TV in Canada. They 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 banned my matches from Canada. I couldn't. That was such an idiot thing to do because yeah, it, no, it no, first no, killed no. my gimmick. It killed yeah. my it killed my gimmick. And Canada, the second thing was. The second thing is how many times that you, Sean, personally, that you watched a movie on TV where there's dirty cops? Yeah. You know what I mean? In movies, it's okay. So it's a show. It's only a show. But the Canadian Mounted Police, they were so stuck up on their horses, they think they're so big in the universe that they thought that we were tarnishing their image. So they just decided to ban me from TV. And when that happened, that killed my gimmick. Yeah. So that was bad. That, that, that was, but but that's the Canadian Mounties in Canada. What what can you say? Okay. You know, but, uh, 
Well, uh, overall, and you said, you know, uh, you know, we may not have the, the championships and all that, but it, it is a business. But you've got to look back now and say, geez, what a ride. I mean, you those eight years <laughs> uh, just with the WWF, WWE, uh, just incredible. And it's it really that's set you up for life in many ways. You're known around the world 80, still. Yeah, 85 to 95. It was 10 good years for me. Yeah. You count my two years off. Yeah, it was 10 years. And, uh, and, and, and today, you know, uh, it's amazing because just today, like I was saying, I sold some hundred tickets to a company this morning. And when I walked into the company and it's like that all the time now, people look, as soon as I come in, people recognize me everywhere I go and they look at me and they, they, they worship my career. They look at me and they, and at the beginning it was hard, like I said, because when we turned healed and all that, people had a little <laughs> upset there, but, but now when they look at it after all those years and, and they look at a career, like you just kindly said about me that I have to, to look at my career and, and people have a lot of respect for, for what we've done, you know, the Rougeau family in the business yeah, and, yeah. and for what I had the chance to do. Uh, and then, so, so, so I'm, I'm sitting in a, in a kingdom now I'm, I'm living at home and everybody will, it's a wonderful world for me right now, Sean. Yeah. And that, and that's, and that's really awesome. And I know, uh, you're still very close. You got a tremendous family and, and Raymond, uh, really the two of you guys, you were tremendously, uh, you know, did had some great matches in the ring, but you know, I used to love to do promos and stuff with you because you guys were you were always completely professional. I never saw you uh, mistreat anybody, and uh, like I said, Raymond is one of the nicest people I ever met in my life. But I, I, geez, you knew never you weren't going to mess with that guy. So it's it's just been awesome having you on. Um, I'd love to get you back sometime. I want to do. Uh, I don't know if you got any time for a couple of questions that uh, we had people. I think send I think us. we. I've, okay, because I think we said it all. You know, my career. Yeah, no, I'm going through these my whole career. Answer, but, 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 Sean, I would like to. Yeah, I could, I could answer a couple of questions fast, but that's not a problem. But, but to be honest with you, I, uh, I would love to. Maybe on another time, if you call me, we just go to questions, you know, and get people. Because I like to get people's feedback. I love talking to people, and it's really fun. And we could spend maybe uh, not like this time two hours, but maybe just another half hour or something down the road just to get the feed. I would love to do that with you, Sean, and All especially. Right. With especially with you, Sean, yeah. because you know what? For me, me and Gene Okerlin was the greatest of all times for oh, me, yeah. as far as doing interviews. And then you're coming in second, that's, so I want I you to know that, that. I, I, I I've always had the greatest respect for you and the the your the way you talk, the way you you value people, the way I think you. you I think they made a big mistake when they let you go, but, 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 but whatever happened, I'm just, today I look back and when I saw you at the convention last month and it reminded me of such a classy guy and a nice person, you talk about Raymond and us being nice. Well, well, send it back to you mirror because, because I've, I've never seen someone who, even today, the show we did today, you, you make me feel so good. You, you've always had the, the, the greatest way of making people feel good and, and so all that's coming to you sean so you take it now and and and, and so so in the meantime i i gotta tell you my supper's on the table but <laughs> but 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 if ever you want to do this again i would love to spend a, a half hour an hour just taking comments and fans and, and answering questions and it would be a, a great thing for for me to do with you sean all right i'll tell you we'll give it a week or so but then i'm gonna save these questions because i told you we got a ton of them and I'll get you. I'll get you on the phone. I promise it'll, we'll do like a half hour, and I'll just get these that just for the folks. That sounds great. Okay. That sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, but Raymond Rougeau, really, it has been uh, tremendous talking to you. It's funny how when you don't see people for it's so Jacques, long, it's Jacques, it's Jacques, not Raymond. Up, like, I know you idolize constantly. Raymond, but it's yeah, Jacques. I, 
Okay, but no, uh, no. I'm going to get my stick out if you keep talking to me like that. (laughs) But Jock, Jock, I got to tell you, this is really, it's been a tremendous conversation with you. And it is funny how, you know, you don't see people for, you know, 20, 25 years, whatever. The ones that, you know, had an impact on your life and and you see each other and you pick up, it's like we saw each other yesterday. So that Isn't says it? a lot. I, sw- yeah. I swear to yeah. God, this interview just reminded me last week we were in Albany doing interviews. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is, time, time flies, but good yeah. moments like we shared together never leaves us. That's right. Jacques Rougeau joining us here on Primetime. Thank you so much for joining us. And I can't. John, can I say one thing just before we go? All right. If ahead. anybody wants to see what I'm doing and stuff, it's jacquesrougeau.ca. Jacques go on my website, you'll, you'll see. Jacques Rougeau, and you'll have to tell him how to spell my name because it's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. And then it's like the diver there, Jacques Cousteau, but me, it's Jacques Rougeau. And then it's R-O-U-G-E-A-U dot C-A. And you're going to fall right automatically if you go on my website on my big, my most important show of my life next year with my three sons. You'll have all the information and you'll see, and you'll see what I do in schools and stuff like that if you speak French. Okay, so that's JacquesRougeau.ca. Like Canada. Yes. All Not right, even Canada. Friend, take care. Dot CA. Yeah, just dot CA. Is that what it stands for? The CA is Canada? I, I believe so. Dot CA. See, I'm going to go to bed smarter tonight. I don't Thank know. Thank you, Sean. That's very <laughs> nice. All right, my friend. Take care. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. My, oh my, that conversation, come on, was just incredible. As I said at the top of the podcast, Jacques did not hold back. Uh, he is a, a guy who really tells it like it is, and it is amazing how after all he went through in the WWF uh, slash WWE, that collision with the British Bulldogs forever changed his life, and it still affects him today. You know, having found his life calling, as he put it, regularly speaking all over the States and Canada to children about bullying, and then also putting on those family-friendly events. Uh, it was tremendous talking to Jacques Rougeau, uh, and catching up with him. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on the conversation. You know, I don't call them interviews. They are conversations. I'd love to hear what you uh, thought about uh, that conversation with Jacques. Uh, get to me, right, through Twitter, at Sean Mooney Who, or of course, uh, of course at Primetime MLW, or you can email me at primetime at MLW.com. That's primetime at MLW.com. Also, what better way to start off the new year than by saving money and getting the best possible seats to an event you want to attend. And you can do that with SeatGeek. You can secure great seats right now just by downloading the SeatGeek app onto your mobile device. And, like I said, because you're one of my listeners, just plug in the promo code PRIMETIME, that's PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, The great lineup of some of the greatest personalities in the history of professional wrestling continues here on Primetime. And the next episode, I promise, will be no exception. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. The world of MLW Radio never stops.
Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related health care to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G.